Having been in the world of veterans for the past 10 years, I've heard a lot about vets who are getting into the anti-human trafficking cause. But to be honest, we hadn't really known anyone who was working against it firsthand. Then, J.P. Cervantes came up in a discussion with my old friend Donald McAllister, and suddenly I found myself in front of him one night while I was out in Fayetteville. Passionate. If I was going to use an adjective to describe Cervantes, this is the word that would first come to mind. A lifetime of service to 7th Special Forces Group, and now making a difference in a way that, sadly, we increasingly need across the globe. JP isn't just knowledgeable about the trafficking world, he's seen it firsthand. The horrors of this world probably aren't something we think about on a daily basis, so that's why I was even more excited to have him on. Sometimes we need reminders. How would you feel if you had a son or daughter being sold on the open market? I think in order to become better citizens of this country and even this world, this is something we need to actively be thinking about combating. I know it's been a real gut check for me as a Christian. This is a hard listen. I won't lie to you about that. JP isn't afraid to make you feel the angst and the importance of this work. He weaves in some intricate details and stories that will make your skin crawl. But as usual, I've said enough. Here he is, the one and only JP Cervantes. The Veterans Project is a comprehensive essay capturing the legacies of our warfighters, caregivers, and civilians who have stepped forward in defense of our patriotic principles in an effort to capture their stories and to never forget the staggering sacrifices of our nation's finest. This is the Veterans Project Podcast, where our legacies are the mission. Here's your host, Tim Kay. Well, Welcome to the Veterans Project Podcast. My name is Tim Kay. I'll be your host as always. With me, we have J.P. Cervantes in the room. J.P., thank you so much for being here, man. I appreciate you a lot. I appreciate you being here. You know, when we met, uh, it was awesome because we were with Charlie Mike's. I'd never been in that area before. I'd never been to the place. I'd never been to the spot. And then I met you, and you were just this gleaming ball of... Latin energy. <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny because I, I felt like I knew you for years when yeah. I met you. You know, yeah. it was it was a good time. Yeah, yeah, it, it was a really good time. It might have been the, the Michael Rodriguez connection. Yeah, yeah. Knowing that you knew him, you knew that I knew him, and so there was some good there was some good vibes early on. Oh yeah. yeah, and then I started bashing on Tim Kennedy. I love you, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we were not. We yeah. were just talking about the podcast that you yeah. did, and absolutely, the yeah, good thing, all good things. <laughs> Uh, JP, so as we do with any of these, uh, we like to go back through your early life and kind of talk about where you came from. And, you know, because I'm very curious, man, like, you know, Seven Special Forces Group obviously has a certain flavor. (laughs) 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 You know, you do. You guys do. It is definitely there's a special cultural vibe with that group in particular. And you really notice it when you're down there uh, in Florida. Um, Can you talk a little bit about how you where you came from and, and kind of what brought you to special operations. What did you, how did you grow up? So I was born and raised in Puerto Rico, right? Mm. So for a lot of people that don't know Puerto Rico. Roll those R's, baby. I like Puerto it. Rico. <laughs> it, it's part of the United States, actually. Uh, uh, <laughs> consider. Not a lot of people know that. Yeah. Well, I know a lot of people that tell me, hey, uh, so when did you apply for your visa? And I was like, well, a while back. 
if you're talking about my credit card. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, well, uh, how did you get to the States? I'm like, it was called Eastern Airlines back in the day. Uh, but that's how I got here, man. Yeah. No boat, no boat. No boat. But, but anyways, no, I, w- I was born and raised in, in Puerto Rico. They, pi- they pictured the Elian Gonzalez story. Oh, oh, oh yeah, no, they <laughs> thought I came in a boat. I thought they ca- I came in a boat. But <laughs> anyways, I, uh, I grew up in Puerto Rico. And um, while I was there, in my earliest childhood, I was always interested in the military. The military always attracted me, even though that, that was not what I was thinking at first. I wanted to be a veterinarian because I love animals. Uh, I I just love animals. And uh, I ended up having my own pet shop, what? like out of the garage in my house. I was running my own pet shop, right? Okay, this is and a I, unique story. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And I wouldn't sell mice to anybody that was going to feed them to their snakes, Right, if you were gonna do that, no, no, I'm not selling you. So there was a questionnaire before they bought oh, them. Oh, oh, yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. But but anyways, of course they ended up buying them anyways and you know giving them to the snakes. So poor, poor things. Liars. But but I'm telling you, I have I had fish tanks and I had goldfish. I have little uh, reptiles and I was selling to my neighborhood. That way they didn't have to go three blocks away to the you know pet shop. They could buy from JP. You know, so I was an entrepreneur since I was a little kid. And at the same time, I had my own little bicycle repair shop that I had going on. So anyways, you're making um, some money. Bro. Oh, I, I was banking. I didn't make shit. But, you know, <laughs> it's like, but it but, felt like a lot. Uh, oh, I, I felt like I was living the life. Right. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so so from the beginnings, uh, I went to a military academy when I was in first and second grade. Then after that, I went to a private Catholic school where I got beat up by the Nuns all the time. Oh, boy. Uh, oh yeah, that ruler hurt. But, <laughs> oh my god. But anyways, but when Even I was talking about that is an abuse. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I know, I know. But when I was 11 years old, I was introduced to Civil Air Patrol. Yeah, and uh, I've heard a lot about Civil. I had a lot of friends who were in it, man. Cap, yeah, yeah, man. San Antonio, I, I'll tell you what, a lot of guys. Are doing one it. of the best experiences of my life came from the Civil Air Patrol. So the the whole time I was there in Puerto Rico, the Civil Air Patrol is a little bit different the culture than in the States. Uh, in Puerto Rico, civil patrol is a lifestyle. Here in the States, it's more like you go for two hours once a week, you do drills or you learn something or whatever, and you're gone. In Puerto Rico, civil patrol is every Saturday from 8 o'clock in the morning until 5, 6 o'clock in the afternoon. You're there an entire day, right? Which is great. You're keeping kids off the street, of drugs or whatever that might be. But anyway, I got introduced to that, and I ended up loving it. I love the the leadership. I love having to wear a uniform, taking pride on your uniform, making sure that my pants were more, you know, pressed than somebody else's pants. My boots shine more than somebody else's, you know. And if I saw a lieutenant and I was just an, uh, a private, you know, my boots were shinier than his. So guess what? I'm a cool private. <laughs> so, you know, it, it was these things that, that I like and I enjoy, and um uh, and then the community around it, right? I started realizing, oh, you know, everybody's tighter when you're in this type of community. I kind of like it. Uh, so later on, fast forward, um, I'm working. I'm going to college, uh, starting to be an air traffic controller. I was taking a private pilot license as well. And then I got two jobs as a bartender. Mm. So I'm bartending at the airport and in one of the clubs in, in, in Ato Rey. Uh, and at the same time, I was in the ROTC. And I was still in the Civil Air Patrol, right? So I'm in the ROTC, and I do my first year in the ROTC. I do my second year. And I go like, all right, for what I can gather, I want to be a ranger instructor. I want to be an airborne instructor. I want to be an instructor of everything. Well, if I'm an officer, I won't be able to do that, (laughs) right? The NCOs do that. So I go like, 
hmm, you know what? Walk up right to the recruiting station. I go like, bro, I'm the easiest recruit you will ever get. It's like, I know exactly what I want. Yeah. And the guy goes like, what do you want? I'm like, I want to be infantry. I want to be 11 Bravo and I want airborne. He was like, ah, you really don't want 11 Bravo. I'll give you 11 X-ray. And I'm like, I know what X-ray is. That means I'm on a sign. Yeah, I, I can be an 11 Charlie, you know. You, you weren't no dummy. Oh, no. I'm like, you can't lie to me, bro. <laughs> I've done this before. So anyways, the, the guy kind of tried to bullshit me. And I go like, all right, you know what? That's fine. Uh, he goes, I'll give you 11 Bravo, okay, after a lot of arguments. He wanted me to be a tanker because there was a $5,000 uh, bonus to be a tanker. Mm. And I go like, ah, no, it's so cool, bro. I, I just, I want a hump. That's what I want to do. Yeah. And then he goes, like, all right, if you, that's what you want, I'll give you 11 Bravo. I'm like, no, I want to see it in black and white right there. I know the army got to put it in black and white. Mm. He goes like, man, this guy is actually did his own work. Mm. So, <laughs> so anyways, he's talking to me about giving me 11 Bravo and all that good stuff. And I go, like, how about urban school? He's like, well, you see, when you go to basic training, they're going to ask for volunteers. For I'm like, no, nah, bro. If it's not in the contract, I'm not getting it. I, I know that. He goes, like, no, no, trust me. I'm like, all right, stand up. He goes, like, well, right now we got no, no open classes. Everything is, is full. And I go, like, okay, great. I stood up. I go, like, when one opens up, give me a call. You got my info. And I started walking away. He stands up as soon as he sees me that I'm about to open the door in that map station. He stands up. He looks at me. He's like, oh, my God. I just got an email. A slot. Open up. Do you want it? <laughs> like in the period that you're there? Uh, of course. Like like in less than five seconds, you know, as, I, as I'm walking to the door, a slot for urban school opened up. And he just happened to receive it in an email. <laughs> wow. okay, okay, bro. I know refreshing your browser. We're talking about 1995. Refreshing your browser takes 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> this is dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> so I know. I know know you could get me that right yeah so yeah. anyways i ended up uh, and that that's when i joined the army now i i you know w- once i started in the civil patrol at that point i knew i wanted to join the military there was no questions about that let me ask you though what was your relationship with your parents what what do you think led to that kind of attitude was it was it pretty good with your parents did you have a good home life oh yeah yeah my mother was very supportive she was very strict mm-hmm. very strict uh, but she was very supportive. Anything that I wanted to do, when it came to the Civil Patrol, she supported me in everything. If there was a, an encampment I needed to go, a survival training or whatever, uh, she knew I liked to make my own money to buy my own things. But if I needed help with something, she always go like, oh, you still need $10 for, you know, that backpack you need for that training. Yeah. Got it. I'll help you. That's because cool. she knew I was doing something good. That's awesome. What do you... What- did that culture, you know, as you would find yourself later down the line as a part of Southern Special Forces group, you know, such a lineage, such a culture there. Do you think your growth and where you grew up helped you where you were with 7th Group? Definitely. Yeah. I'm telling you, when I went to basic training, it was so freaking odd. It was so freaking easy for me. Yeah. It was easy. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, I grew up, you got to be a hard worker. Everything is earned. Nothing is given. Right. <clears throat> it doesn't matter if you're if you're. Rich or you're poor, whatever you have, you have to work for it. Nobody gave it to you. Mm. And a lot of people tell you, oh, no, 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 I did it all on my own. No, at some point, somebody gave you a hand, either taking care of your kids while you were trying, you know, to go for what you wanted, whether it was your parents helping you out, whether it was somebody giving you the opportunity to be even to go in that endeavor that, that you went on. Somebody at some point helped you. Nobody did anything on their own. Mm. So, you know, and that's where the whole team concept came in. You know, I go like, I love this. Uh, my parents taught, taught me to work hard. 
And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go there and I'm going to work hard. And not only that, I got to represent. In my mind, I'm like, I got to represent all these Latinos and Puerto Ricans that came bef before me, right? Mm -hmm. I got to make sure I do them justice. I don't want these NCOs looking at me saying, like, that's why we don't like Puerto Ricans. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it ended up, ended up being backwards, to be honest with you. I showed up in my first unit in the 82nd. I'm standing in formation. I'm not even assigned to a platoon or anything. And uh, at that point, they go like, okay, these are all the new guys. My company just got back from Haiti. So, you know, they're looking for new guys to haze. You know, they're like, oh, we got fresh meat. So I'm standing over there and this one tall, freaking white, redneck, freaking sergeant walks right in front of me. He said, I want him on my squad. And I go like, oh, snap. Here we go. Everything that I hear in basic training about this racism stuff is going to happen, <laughs> right? Because I, I never experienced that in basic training, right? Yeah. So I'm like, it's going to happen. Right. No. No. He brought me into the, the well, not even an office. It's one of the guy's room that he was just in an office, right, in the <laughs> barracks. Because, <laughs> you know. Barracks how, office. Yeah, yeah, barracks office. Normal. He brought me in and he said, hey, you know why I wanted you in my squad? And I go like, ah. I didn't want to say, because uh, you want to kill me? You know, I go like, uh, no, sir, I, I got no idea. He goes like, well, every Puerto Rican that I ever served with was a hardworking Puerto Rican. He's like, so I know you're going to do the same. Don't let him down. Mm. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay. Okay, this is cool. Mm. I, I'm cool, you know? Yeah. So I, I like I tell you, it was just this work hard, represent not only your, I mean, you represent your family, you know? And you're representing yourself. You're representing your culture, whatever that culture is, right? But at the end of the day, is the personal pride that you got to have. If you have no pride of what you do, then you're not going to excel at anything. Mm, that's so true, man. That's very profound. And, you know, <clears throat> I think about, so, so you, you got out of airborne training, airborne school. You go to the 82nd? Is that where you did that? That is first? correct. Yeah. Second of the 325. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> You're showing up in the hot zone, baby. You got the microscope on you. <laughs> oh, man. And you know what? I showed up to a war zone, what I call a war zone. And, and the reason I said that is I was not even assigned to my second of the 325 three yet. I was still in replacement. And I'm doing PT and the Tau Stadium sniper mm. happened. Remember oh, the Tal Stadium sniper when he started sh shooting people in the middle of our dance? No, I didn't hear it. Oh, that. yeah. No, that no, was, no, no, no. What was this? Oh, was uh, this? That, uh, that was 1995. I want to say it was October okay. 1995. Yeah. Uh, Sergeant Kreitzer. Oh. Yep. On base? Yeah, on base. What happened? Oh, so. Oh, you got to tell me that. So yeah, I got to hear this story it, there, now. It, I didn't know this. It's a long story behind it. Apparently, he's, he was having now. I don't know the exact details because, you know, but but the long story is that. He was having issues, some kind of issues. Mm -hmm. He went to his leadership. Leadership didn't listen to him. He went to somebody else. Didn't listen to him. He went to the company commander. Didn't listen to him. He went to the brigade commander. Didn't listen to him. Kind of like told him, suck it up. You'll figure it out. Now, this guy was a squad leader in the sniper squad, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> so he can shoot. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Not exactly inept with so a weapon. He, apparently, he told to his squad a few times that, Hey, I gonna one day I gonna come here and shoot all of you, but everybody took it as like ah he's just mad you know and this 1995 you know so it's like, ah he's just mad he'll get over it, whatever. Yeah. Well, one morning it was a a DRF assumption run you know when you take over DRF DRF one and all that. Explain what DRF is. DRF uh, is uh, basically your the the readiness task force at that point. That's when you are 
if anything happens, your brigade, your battalion is the one that is on the books to be ready to go. We'll stop, you know. Awesome. Let, let's go. Yeah. Right? So so it was a DRF assumption run, and normally they do a big run. You know, all the battalions are, are, are there for the brigade and all that. So they're all in formation. Guess who didn't show up that morning? Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> big old Sarge didn't show up. So anyways, Uh-oh. they're in formation, and uh, long story short, something happened in the formation, and they kind of switched where his squad was normally at. They switch him. That kind of saved a few guys, right? So he was already set up in the wood line. Wow. Oh, yeah, and he got different kind of rifles just laying right next to him. And he was ready for a war, right? Wow. Even though that he was the only one with guns. Yeah. So he's laying over there, and uh, as soon as they uh, they about to do the, the formation to start running, he just opened up. Uh, the first one that got hit, I uh, believe, was the battalion XO as he's stepping in front of the battalion commander. The bullet was meant for the battalion or the brigade commander. Wow. The brigade so happened to walk right in front of him, took the bullet. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then after that, he just started targeting people. A few people got shot in the butt a few times. Wow. So so the, so the with that said is he didn't want to kill everyone. He wanted to kill certain certain people. Right. Uh, and the other ones he just shot for fun. Mm. But uh, And it just happened that some... Uh, students from uh, ANOC, the uh, Advanced non, non, uh, Non-Commissioned Officer course from Special Forces, Green Berets happened to be doing a run down the road and they heard all the shooting and, and they, they immediately saw the flash and they knew what, so two of the guys maneuvered from behind him and literally knocked him out with one punch. Wow. And uh, the guy broke his hand. Uh, the NCO broke his <laughs> wow. hand. But, of course, the joke is that those guys were not really trying to be heroes. They fell out of the run. And in order for them not to look bad, they were like, what are we going to do not to look stupid because we fell out of the run? Because we, oh, shit, let's save, let's save the day over there. We're going to be heroes. Nobody's going to remember we fell out of the run. <laughs> that, that's the joke that that's was going on. That's, yeah. yeah, that's the joke like that, that was going on. But, but anyways, that's what happened that wow. day. And, uh, Did he kill anyone? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. Uh, I want to say about Six, seven people got killed. There was Jeez. a lot of injured people. It was all over the news. That's brutal. But that was my first experience. I'm just doing PT down the road, and I hear all this shooting, and we even see the bullets like tracers. Oh and we're my like, gosh. and we're like, hey, what? I, I tell my sergeant, hey, Sarge, uh, if there's a range around here, and he goes like, not this close. And then we see people running with blood, and he goes like, well, zonk, we ain't doing PT this morning. And we're like, oh, snap. <laughs> like, wow. I'm like, is this going to be like this every week? <laughs> wow. yeah. Just shut up to the 82nd, got a party right away. Jeez, I'm like, holy dude. shit. I'm like, welcome that to the 82nd. But yeah, so that's the Tal Stadium. Uh, actually, you, you, if, you, if you look for it, look for uh, 1995 Tal Stadium shooting. Okay. And, and you're going to find it. It's all, it's all over the place. That's sad, man. That's rough. Um, so... 1995. So this is six years before things kick off. So what was it like, the climate at the 82nd? Did you know you were part of one of the most professional organizations? Did you feel that being with the 82nd? Oh, I did. I loved it. Let me tell you, I love being in the 82nd. I, I had great mentors, great NCOs. A lot of them were, you know, uh, were in Desert Storm or, or Panama. I mean, How much so- did that prime you for warfare? To be honest... My time in the 82nd prepared me for the rest of my military career. Uh, all those NCOs that I had, all that mentorship, prepared me mentally and physically for the rest of my military career. Mm-hmm. I was not the best runner when I got to the 82nd. Uh, 
everybody thought because I was brown, I could run. I'm like, no, bro. <laughs> I don't need to run, man. I, I got a passport. <laughs> They're like, but can you swim? I'm like, yeah, with shorts. You put anything else on me, I'm going down. I'm going down. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I, don't need to, I don't need to swim, bro. I, I'm a surfer. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> That's awesome. so, so, yeah, it, it prepared me a lot, man. Uh, I And I was talking to somebody the other day, and I was telling them that. I was like, man, those NCOs over there just made me better and mm. made me strive for more. They told me, hey, JP, you're going to do great things. Keep pushing forward. And some of those guys ended up in group with me later. Wow. Some of those NCOs. Wow. Oh, yeah. That's oh, yeah. Cool. And it's funny because they got to group, and I'm like, hey, Cherry, what's up? I was already in group for a little bit. So I... <laughs> <laughs> you were able to let them have it in reverse. Oh, oh, oh trust me, I did. <laughs> I, I, I'm telling you, some of those guys, uh, uh, and I, I can say their names here, Sergeant Gilchrist, Sergeant Guzman, uh, I got uh, Sergeant Pastor, Tony Pastor, man. All those guys, just they just took me under their wing. It was not about... It was not about, you know, how much I know I want to hold you as still being this, you know, E4 mm -hmm. that don't know much. They're like, no, I want you to have all of my knowledge as an E4. Mm -hmm. And that will make you better. And that's what they did. They, they made me so much better. And that's how I ended up going to group later. Wow. Um, I was like, you know what? That's what I need to do. Yeah, yeah. How, how long were you in before you decided that was the route that you wanted to take? So I was... I. Of course, 95 is when I got to the 82nd. 99, I was going to selection already. Mm, so yeah. four years four in. Four years in. Yeah. Four years in. I was stationed in Panama at that point. Uh, and uh, one of the recruiters that showed up, Sergeant Dominguez, everybody called him Mr. T because he always had all this gold, you know, Mr. T starter kit. <laughs> but Dominican dude, hilarious. He was actually, when I got to the 82nd, he was already in the Q course. Oh, okay. And he came to visit all the time because he was uh, a very good friend with one of the NCOs in my squad. So he came to visit all the time. And he's always talking about the Q course, you know, how he's doing this and that and how much he loves it. And I'm like, okay, so I'm picking his brain. Uh, fast forward four years later, he's one of the SF recruiters that went to Panama. Wow. And I go like, hey, hey Socrates. He goes like, que pasa papi, hey man, you know, I'm, a, I'm here, you know, I'm a recruiter for life. <laughs> and if you're listening to this and you know Socrates, you know this, the voice. You know, it's like, you know, I'm here to, to you know, you want to have this gold tag, you know, gold dog tags. You want to, that's TDY, baby, TDY. <laughs> but so he showed up and uh, we just started this big Sounds conversation. Sounds like a cool cat. <laughs> oh man, he amazing, dude, amazing. Uh he uh he showed up and and he wanted me to go SF and I go like hey bro, mm. one, uh, I'm in the list for Ranger School. I was supposed to re re go to Ranger School twice and my my Ranger School class got delayed because I needed to deploy, uh, to South America with my platoons over there in Panama. So I'm like, man, I my shit is getting you know getting delayed. I want to make sure I get Ranger School before I get back to the 82nd because Panama was shutting down. Mm, okay. So and I want to make sure I get. Ranger school before I go back to the 82nd. You don't want to go back to the 82nd as an E5 or E6, you know, with no Ranger tab. You know what I'm saying? So uh, he goes like, Papi, what I'm offering you, he goes like, and he, he was very honest. He told me, JP, do you know what they're going to teach you in Ranger school? I'm like, I mean, the information, yeah, I know it all. He's like, have you done it? He's like, that's what I do every day. I'm in the infantry. That's what I do every day. I'm an infantry squad leader, you know? That's what I do every day. He's like, correct. He's like, so you know the seven dash eight? And you know the Ranger Handbook from top to bottom. I'm like, that's correct. And you and you execute it because you obviously do that all the time and you've been in pre-Ranger a few times. So I'm like, yeah. He goes like, okay. He goes like, 
do you know what they're going to teach you in the Q course for special forces? I'm like, no. He's like, ah, the unknown. <laughs> and I go like, <laughs> you want to be friends with that? <laughs> yeah. And, no, and this and then this is the way he put it to me, and it made complete sense. He goes like, JP, Ranger School is that a school. You go there, you get done, you come back. What I'm offering you is a career. This is with you forever. Yeah. He goes like, and once you go to a group, you can raise your hand and go to Ranger School whenever you want because yeah. they got plenty of slots. Oh, yeah. It's just, I mean, that's if you have time between deployments. <laughs> and, uh, and I go like, oh. Gucci gang, bro, you got whatever you need over yeah, here. He's like, hey, what do you want? Do you want Ranger School, baby? <laughs> we, we got Ranger we School. Got Ranger school. <laughs> we got Pathfinder for you. <laughs> we got everything. <laughs> yes. Come on, come on, come to the dark side. <laughs> but, uh, so I ended up going like, okay, I'll take your, I'll take your stupid PT test. No. So I took the PT test and uh, I go like, hey, man, when can I go to a selection? He's like, how about in three weeks? I go like, oh, Ooh. snap. He goes like, you got this? And I go like, okay. So now I'm just, I, at that point, I was doing the MTT for aerosol. Mm. So, you know, I'm like, okay, I just did a rock march. Like, ah, it's too easy. Yeah. So I, I, went, I ended up going to selection from Panama. And MTT is? Uh, uh, it's called Mobile Training Team. Okay. So aerosol. the civilians. Oh, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. So the, the 10th Mountain Division sent a, uh, uh, a group of instructors to Panama to run the air assault school gotcha. course over there. Gotcha. Okay. So that's basically what it was. And they were hating it. They're like, it's hot as hell here in Panama. <laughs> like they were falling out of the runs and we're laughing at them. We're like, ha ha ha. Yeah. Because they're all 10th groupers, right? No, no, they're they're out of well, they're out of four drum, yes. Yeah, they're out of drum. They're okay, they're drum. all out of drum. Okay. Yeah, so like, they yeah, say yeah. cold. <laughs> they don't like it hot. <laughs> we're like, ah, welcome to Panama. <laughs> so so no, so uh, I did that. I, I went to selection. Luckily got selected the first time. First time go, baby. Wow. First time go. I don't know uh, what we're going again. Yeah. <laughs> I actually enjoyed selection, to be honest with you. A lot of people tell me I'm sick because uh, I actually enjoy selection. But you are sick, but you have some sick brothers. I've yeah, heard yeah. the same from a few guys. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I went to selection, comes back, I come back, and then they're like, okay, well, you go into the next Q course class, which happened to be right after I was leaving Panama anyways. So I left Panama in May. And in June, I was already sign, sign in at SWEG to start a Q course. So that's how my whole that's SF fast, career started. Man. And I yeah. always wanted to do that. Man, Rambo was my hero. John J. Rambo. You know John what I'm saying? John J. Rambo. <laughs> Dude, dude all, he the was, of the universe. all he wanted was something to eat. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> He's just hungry, bro. Just give him some food. <laughs> that's it. That's all they needed to do. Dude, it's so funny, bro. I remember watching that movie with my dad. And like I had the opposite reaction, like watching that guy. And I was like... I could never be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that was man. my reaction. I Bro, like, when I saw yeah. that movie, I wanted to be John J. Rambo. That's awesome. I'm telling you, he motivated me. I'm like, yes. That changed your life. Well, my brother my brother uh, wanted to join the Army as well. So when I went to the recruiting station, my brother went with me. And, of course, it didn't work out for him very well. Because uh, when he showed up, he told the recruiter, he's like, the recruiter, hey, listen, you need to take this test. Before I take any test, let me tell you right now what I want to do. The recruiter goes like, okay, what do you want to do? I want to do with one of those guys that is trained to kill with one finger. Oh, no. And he goes like, what? One of those Green Berets trained to kill with one finger, like John J. Rambo. Oh, no. And uh, the recruiter goes like, well, you, uh, yeah, you want to be that, bro. Yeah, sure. Now, <laughs> we'll train you for that. But first, you got to join the Army. You got to go to basic training. You got to go to yeah. school. You got to serve for a few years before, because you got to have certain rank before you go to selection and the Q course. It's like, no, 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 no. Right now, 
I want to sign the contract, train to kill with one finger. <laughs> so, of course, you know, they kicked out of the recruiting office because he was a dumbass. So, and, uh, and Make I, sure a good story later, though. Oh, oh yeah, I had to apologize to him. I'm like, I'm sorry, my brother is not the smartest guy in the world. But uh, my brother still talk about it. So when I, when, when, I, when I finished the Q course, this is hilarious. When I finished the Q course, the first thing he asked me, JP, yeah, can you kill with one finger? I'm like, you know, that's like, no, can you kill with one finger? I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's go with this. Yes, I can. He's like, teach me. <laughs> and I go like, oh, that's classified, bro. I can't, <laughs> I, I can't teach Got you that. It, <laughs> I, oh, man. He kept asking me for years. Like, come on, man. I'm like, it's classified, bro. Oh, yeah. He's like, oh, man, I, I wish I went there, man. <laughs> That's top tier classification, bro. We ain't sharing yeah, that. Yeah, we, we can share. That's that's TSSCI freaking presidential level. <laughs> it gets handed straight off the president's desk, bro. <laughs> that's wild, man. So you get to the Q course. What well, you enjoyed selection? You said that you might be sick. You might not. I don't know. Um, I haven't been. <laughs> but what was what was the Q course like? Did you enjoy that period too as well? I mean, obviously that's a much longer pipeline. You're still getting your butt kicked, but it's in a different way, probably. Very educated way. What was the Q course like, and what did you learn there? So back when I went to the Q course, there was three different phases. Now there's like five <clears throat> because they, they separated everything differently now. But uh, when I went, there were three different phases. Phase one, which was your small unit tactics uh, portion, right? <clears throat> so you learn small unit tactics. The, the reason they, they make that phase that way is because not everybody coming to special forces is combat arms. So not everybody's infantry that knows how to do small unit tactics, ambush, you know, things like that. So you got admin guys, you got people that were helicopter mechanics and things like that. Now they come in and they learn one baseline. So it's like it's like having a little, you know, pre-ranger right there in, in, in the Q course. Bring everybody to the same baseline of small unit tactics. Because that's one thing that we got to teach in the future anyways, right, to our partner forces. So, so during that time, I, I love that. It was so awesome because, you know, it brought, it, it brings, if you're already a leader, if you're already in the infantry, it does two things for you. One, either brings, brings your leadership skills out or it shows how much you're lacking leadership yeah. skills, right? So to so all the guys that were in the infantry and we had the leadership skills, it showed. Right, we went out. We tried to mentor the new guys. That you know, that admin guy, that helicopter mechanic. We mentor them. We train them. We make sure they're successful in their brief. And when they go in their mission, we make sure they're successful in their mission. Then you had the other guys that knew the information, but were really not good leaders. Mm -hmm. And you could see those when they were selfish. Like, ah, well, I already know that. Well, you need to learn it and stuff like that. Those guys were not very successful in the Q course. I tell you that right now. Mm -hmm. uh, but. So that phase was amazing. It was cool. I, I met a lot of cool people, right? And you're in the woods all the time doing missions. So you get to talk to each other a lot and you learn about each other's families and things like that. So it was really fun. Then after that, we move into phase two, which was basically learning your skill, your MOS. I went to be a Special Forces Weapons Sergeant or 18 Bravo. Uh, so there you go. Let's learn weapons. And back in the day, it used to be that you were either a light weapon sergeant or a heavy weapon sergeant. They changed that later, and it became the weapon sergeant course. So you learn everything, heavy and light weapons, all in once. And let me tell you, 
in my, a lot of people say 18 bravos are dumb. Ho, 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 ho. <laughs> Let me tell you, there's a lot of information that you got to absorb in a very limited amount of time. They're trying to push down your throat, everything about these guns, who made it, why they made it, what the specs are, how to take it apart, how to put it back together. What are all the different kind of uh, uh, malfunctions that can happen with it? And you need to know all the technical parts about it too. You get tested almost every day. You got a test that you got to mm. take. So it was really intense. If you didn't go back to your home or your barracks, whatever you were at, and study, you were going to fail that. Mm. Um, we lost half our class. Wow. Right, you were going to fail that. So if you don't apply yourself in the 18 Bravo course or any other course in Special Forces, you're going to fail. Yeah. Right. So I enjoy that. I enjoy the the fact that I like pressure. Yeah. So to me, that was awesome because it didn't allow me to slack. You know, if you allow me to slack, then I'm going to slack. Trust yeah. me. But if you don't, I'm going to apply myself. And, I, and that's what I did. I applied myself and I went through that. Then you go to phase three, which is the, what they call the big famous Robin Sage training yeah, exercise. Right. right. Which is the unconventional warfare portion. Now that at that point, that's when. All the MOSs, all the guys that went to be, you know, eight, 18 Charlies, which is Special Forces uh, Engineer Sergeant, uh, they build stuff or blow stuff. Either way, they like it. Uh, you got the 18 Deltas, which is the medical sergeants, uh, which is straight up almost like a surgeon, but better. Uh, right. And then you you also have the <laughs> you you also have the 18 Echoes, which is the communication sergeant. And no, they hate it when you ask them to fix your computer. They're not <laughs> IT guys. They're communication sergeant. <laughs> That's an important distinguishment. Yes. As you're going through these 18 series, the funny thing is for me is like you're talking about how, you know, people assume 18 Bravo like they, they go, oh, those dummies. It's for me, 18, anything 18 series is like, oh, that guy's way smarter than me. <laughs> That's what I assume. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm telling you, 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 you'll be impressed on how many people fail the 18 Bravo course. Uh, I thought that we all were going to make it and ended up going like, oh, shit, it's only one month in. We lost half of the class. How many guys did you enter with through the selection pipeline and then you see fall behind by the time you're done with everything? Well, selection is kind of hard to, to tell because not everybody gets the selection same uh, Q course date okay. uh, as you did. So some guys might get their date six months later, a year later, yeah. whatever that might be. But some of the guys that went to selection with me and then the Q course, I want to say I ended up finishing with maybe two. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Out of how many? So when I went to selection, we were 189 uh, about... 60-something finish, 30, I want to say it was 39 got selected. Jeez, wow, that yeah. is incredible. That's incredible numbers. I mean, you're training up a prime soldier, a guy who's ready for a lot of situations. You know, um, we mentioned Tim Kennedy earlier, and that was funny, but he talked about how, <clears throat> you know, the capabilities of an A-team, you know, you're coming in, you know, obviously close with destroy the enemy, but at the same time, you're you're capable of leading a small government in many aspects. When you come into that space of transitioning people over and getting them ready for that, does that sound about right? That sounds about right. And yeah. and, and I'm going to tell you something that, uh, and he was there that night. You probably didn't get to talk to him, but but he was there that night. Is uh, uh, Command Sergeant Major Ronnie McCarn. Okay. He uh, he. We were talking one day, and and 
I get question and answer Wednesdays on my Instagram, right? Yeah, yeah. So people ask which me, I enjoy the heck yeah, out of. Yeah, which by the a way. lot of. I'm so, two weeks in, I'm already <laughs> laughed, cried, lost ten pounds. <laughs> so sometimes I try to give honest answers. Sometimes I'm making funny or whatever. Right. But anyways, we were talking about it because somebody asked me what's the difference between Green Berets and Navy Seals, right? And besides the typical answer that you always give, you know, everybody got their own mission set. You know, I I, I try not to talk bad about other special operations right? right now if i do it it's just a joke yeah and yeah. people take it personal well yeah. yeah i'm just throwing a joke out there right <laughs> but beaver sergeant major he uh he put it to me in a very very good way to understand mm. he said jp all you got to tell him is this if you need to secure a room or a building you send rangers or seals if you need to secure a country, you send Green Berets. No! And I was like, oh, shit. I was like, well, that makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. So, and, and not taking anything away from anybody else's mission, but right. it is what the Green Berets was stood up for, mm. right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> so. So, the indigenous forces prepare the whole country. Correct. Yeah. Unconventional warfare and counterinsurgency. That, that's what we do. Mm. Uh, so, so, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was very interesting. Did you did you feel primed and ready for the first time war? Did you feel primed and ready for that? Because obviously ninety nine, you're probably training a little differently than some of the doctrines that would come out in the future, right? Right? Things change, obviously. You realize who you're fighting. Ninety nine to oh one, we didn't know who we were fighting, and then all of a sudden you got this enemy. Did did you see did you learn a lot and did that those lessons in ninety nine help a lot in what you were doing in Iraq or Afghanistan? Well, they did give you a good baseline, yeah. right? Because you got to have something to start from. And uh, it gave you a good baseline, but we had to make so many adjustments. Mm. So many. I mean, the, I mean, even from Afghanistan to Iraq, two different styles of fighting, two different enemies. Yeah. You know, they're, they're not the same. And, you know, people that, that, are, that have only gone to Afghanistan will tell you, oh, yeah, yeah, I understand the, the way you fight the war in Iraq. No, bro. <laughs> and the people that only gone to Iraq will tell you they understand oh Afghanistan I can do that right. oh no you can do it just trust me it's different now if you've been in both you go like oh yeah man this is completely different cultures completely different you know uh, uh, methods of warfare and all that it's, it's different right. and they think different okay so did it prepare me yes it gave me the baseline did it make me the most lethal freaking warfighter with the information and the training I already had? Hell no. <laughs> oh, oh, hell no. No, we we had to adjust on the go. Mm. We had to adjust on the go all the time. That's part of those intangibles, though, that you learn, right? Oh, the Adaptability. Like, you know, you don't learn. You might not know specific mission sets or what it's going to be like when you get over there, but you have to be adaptable as a Green Beret. You have to. Yeah. You know, when we first got there, everybody's talking about... Wearing all your kit, wearing this, wearing that. And of course, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm all kit up. I got my helmet. I got everything. Got it. Uh, I can even float through this house and capture that guy because he's so freaking fast. He's wearing man jammies, right? <laughs> and he's wearing no shoes. And here I am carrying 100 pounds worth of equipment trying to catch that dude. It's not going to happen. It got to the point where we went down to play carriers. Mm. We only had play carriers. You know, uh, uh, we had our pistol belts, you know, and stuff like that. We have ammo stuck in our pockets. I mean, you name it. 
because we needed to move fast. At that point, speed was security. Mm. It was not the equipment that you were wearing. Yeah. Right. So so yeah, we we had to adapt, and then slowly, in the future, when you know. 10 years later, when they started improvising their IEDs and all that stuff, then you got to start scaling back to now you got to wear more protective gear. Right. But in the beginning, wearing too much protective gear, it was, it was going to be a liability for you. Mm. And we saw it. We saw people getting shot because they, they couldn't move fast enough. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. I didn't, I didn't think about that. But, you know, you're kind of in that period of 99, obviously, you know, post-Cold War, but we're still training in a lot of those ways, right, for Russia, for the Russian enemy, which which is interesting enough that Russia comes up right now, right? You know, <laughs> pretty wild. Um, you know, <laughs> I mean, common enemy comes back, you know, imagine that. You know, a strong military force stays uh, relevant throughout history. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're, we're preparing for that, uh, you know, the big hammer and sickle, and we're ready for trench warfare, in a lot of ways, nuclear warfare. Yeah. So, wait armor all that stuff very important a lot of ammunition and then you get over there and it's like hey this is not it fighting terrorism is very different you got to be able to skate fast you got to be able to move quick you got to be able to blend in you got to be able to get around quick and these guys hey they don't wear uniforms bro they don't care They'll hide behind women and children doesn't matter they will do anything to take your life um and they'll do it in ways that we call disgusting and perverse and all those things but they don't care their goal is to win you know in the great global jihad their job is to win so <clears throat> what was it like encountering the enemy for the first time over there and getting you went to afghanistan first or correct Iraq? okay afghanistan what was that like in what year 2002 okay so early yeah you're over there early oh yeah yeah you riding a horse <laughs> <laughs> we actually we actually had camels yeah <laughs> Stinky bastards. <laughs> what was it like in 2002? Where where'd you get deployed to? What do you remember about that? So uh, our, our first deployment uh, in 2002, we went to Goresh. Uh, there was nothing there. Uh, basically, we went to Kandahar, and we were told that we need to set, you know, have a presence in Helmand province, and um, Goresh was the place that was picked. So we're like, okay, great. Uh, awesome. Who are we replacing? They're like, no, no, you don't understand. There's nobody there. We're like, okay, uh, no friendly forces at all? Like, no British? I was like, nope. I mean, they do patrol by there once in a while, but uh, there's no permanent presence there. Mm -hmm. So we ended up building uh, Goresh, the base on Goresh, and changed to a name later. Um, I forgot what the name was. Camp Price, I believe it was. Okay. I might be, I might be mistaken with that one. But anyways, if you've been in Goresh, then whatever that camp is named now, that's where we were at. We actually built that. Uh, we actually had to sleep on top of our vehicles for a few weeks while we started building the HESCO around around where we wanted to use as our base. Mm. Uh, we were in the middle of the desert, in the middle of nowhere. You could see... Warfare, warfare. Oh, early, bro. Like, like, you could see everything. Mm. We could see the tracers. We could see the vehicles coming. We could see everything around us. So we started building there, and uh, we ended up making a pretty kick-ass uh, base there. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, was, it was what any... ODA will want you build the base the way you wanted to build it. I remember when I was giving my brief, I had to brief some 82nd um, general as we were going out because they wanted to know, you know, which friendly forces are, are wanted. We were not asking for permission. We were just briefing, briefing them on where we were going and what our plan of action was to establish that base. Right. And I, I was just at that point, uh, brand new E6, right? 
So I'm briefing this general and I'm, I kept, in my briefing on purpose, I kept saying A Camp Goresh. Everybody called them fire bases, mm. right? A Camp Goresh, A Camp Goresh, A Camp Goresh. And at one point he goes like, well, Sergeant, I, this is not Vietnam. He said, this is, this is Afghanistan 2002. That's a fire base. And he said, well, sir, by definition, and the way I'm setting up the security in this base, this is an A camp. In order to qualify as a fire base, you need to have fire support. And I just went talking <laughs> about, I just went to talk about FNs and manuals and how many mortars and artillery and all that. And it's like we got none of that. We got 181 millimeter mortar and we got two 60 millimeter mortars. That's all we got. Mm. It's like so. This is not a fire base. This is an A camp, which is occupied by two special forces ODAs and no other conventional forces. Wow. And he just looked and he's like. My team sergeant kind of was like, oh, shit, I'm in trouble. At the same time, <laughs> at the same time he was proud, right? Except yeah. for the captain. The captain was scared of shit. He's like, oh, shit. I'm the only black captain in seventh group right now. Not only I'm black, I got a smart-ass fucking Puerto Rican. That's it, I'm fired. So, There's going to be no more black guys. No, yeah, he's like, that's it, that's it. I just messed it up. We're out. So, but, you know, he, I actually, the general appreciated that. He's that's like, cool. He goes like, well, then by definition, I guess it's an A camp. Wow. We're still going to call it a fire base. Is that okay? I'm like, well, we call it whatever you want. <laughs> In my paperwork, it's, it's going to say ACAP. How about yeah, that? Right, but, yeah. uh, so, yeah, so it was very interesting. We went back old school. We went back, you know, setting up our bases the way we learn warfare and, you know, unconventional warfare from Vietnam. Mm. You know, so we're like, man, this is pretty awesome and everything that i learned in the q course from old timers that were in vietnam saunter raiders and stuff like that it comes back into your head it, it, and you're like i remember when he said don't forget this i remember when he said make sure you plan for this and everything just comes together that's powerful it was so it was so freaking exciting bro. that is powerful <laughs> yeah. wow yeah so you're pumped to be there oh awesome. my god i yeah. was i was so pumped bro yeah. Yeah. i was so pumped there's no other way i wanted to be at that point were you ready i was uh i was I think I was ready. Yeah. Uh, I was mentally ready. I was physically ready. Uh, uh, I think uh, I was not ready to th- see some of the things that I thought that I was ready to see. Mm. Uh, you know, you, you know. I, I don't know if you yeah, understand no. what I'm trying yes, to say. I there. Do. Yeah. It's like you know, you, you you can say all the time. It's like, oh yeah, you know, you go there, people are gonna be dead, left and right, blah blah blah. And then when you see it, it's completely different. Mm. Uh, so. I ma- did I manage it? Yeah. Did yeah. I did I rock? Th- yeah. I just right through it. But you know, it just start hitting you. It's like this is the reality of war. Right. The war that we prepare for is one thing. The war that we actually have to fight is a different one. Yeah. And um, the reality of war h- hits you real quick. Mm. You know. And uh, yeah. How much? How much does that strike you nowadays when you hear people? You know, and obviously in the last couple weeks and i'll date this podcast because you know talking about what's going on now overseas is like people will talk about well why don't they just pick up arms you know it's that you know they need to defend what they have they need to understand that and it's like hey man you're not in their scenario you're not in their situation you've been there as a well-trained green beret you know the reality when it hits it's a very stark contrast between what you think right yeah well it is you train to go to wars and i I don't care what people say. It's like, oh, were you in the military? You, you, you train to defend us. It's like, yeah, but the way we do that is fighting wars in other places so that we don't have to fight them here. Right. So I don't care what you do in the military. You train to fight wars, period. Yeah. That's what you do. Yeah. 
So you kind of like already expecting that unless you're one of those guys that are like, yeah, I pick a job that I'll never go to war. <laughs> right? Right. But you kind of already expecting that. Uh, a civilian that, you know, was just working as a mechanic or maybe a nurse and uh, all of a sudden overnight is getting run over by Russians uh, and have to grab a rifle. It's not mentally prepared for that. No, no, no. Yeah, hasn't not been, at all. Hasn't been training for that. Not even training. Mm. But it mentally prepared for it, even less. Mm. Right. Yeah. So we cannot say, well, you you should be able to do. No, man, because they didn't plan for that. They yeah. didn't join the military. Now they're doing it because they want to protect their country. Right. They, right. They they will die at all, at all costs. But they're not trained for that. No. The the probability is that majority of those people are gonna die. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sadly is high because yeah. they're not trained. They don't know what to do. And you can grab a rifle right now and say, I'm going to go to war right now because, you know, I'm, I'm this tactical shooter that wins all this kind of three-gun competitions, this and that. And when you go over there and the first bullet fly, I'll see you hiding behind a freaking vehicle. <laughs> I know because I've seen it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I've seen it. Yeah. The big badass guy that can do it all, all of a sudden is hiding behind a vehicle. Mm. You never know how you're going to react until shit hits the fan. Yeah, yeah. That's when you know who's who. Yeah. And yeah. So, so those people over there, a lot of them, they might be right now with rifles getting ready to protect their country. Once they see those tanks, they see rockets and they see bullets flying, they might completely freeze. Right, yeah. Right? Some other ones might fight. But you don't know what's going to happen until that's, it happens. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's beautiful. And I wanted to hear that from you because that's important. What do you, how did you respond in your first contact? What, what was that like? Was that that first tour that you were over there? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I'll tell you what. It was, uh, it's, it's almost like, you're not sure if it's happening or not. Mm. You're like, oh, you know. Surreal. Am, am I taking a nap right now, you know, in my in my cot and I'm just dreaming that this is going to happen or this is really happening? You know, when you start hitting those pops over your head, rounds hitting, you know, around you, you're like, huh. Now, of course, being in Special Forces, I've already been shot at before. You know, in my deployments to Colombia, the FARC have shot at us before, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was not new. You know, to Bolivia, we've seen, you know, the bullets fly. So, it's not like it was the first time I was shot at right. in special forces. So I already, already had that experience, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a completely different experience right now. Cause you know, not only it's an, it's not only a few people shooting at you. These are thousands of these dudes that can come out of nowhere cause they can come out of under a rock. Cause that's what they do. Right. It's like, so at that point you're like, okay, I'm getting shot at. And now I got to worry about my teammates. Uh, how many of them are they, uh, where are they coming from? Is this really happening in the first place? You know, uh, am I going to shoot at the right person? I mean, you you start going through all this stuff in your head and then uh, it takes a few seconds. Now, in in your mind and and, and the, the time stops, right? So you think it took you three hours to react to this. But in reality, it takes a few seconds. That's it. It's just a few seconds and bam, all of a sudden, all your training it's just muscle memory just kicks in. Mm. And once that kicks in, you go in overdrive, you're good. Mm. You're good. It just, the first time it takes you a few seconds for, for you to, to realize this is real. It's happening right now. Let's put your training into work. Yeah, that's amazing. This was, and this is the area that you were in, near in Helmand Province. Helmand Province. What was the particular mission set that you're dealing with on that? What was your job right there, right there in that area? So, uh, of course, it was... <laughs> Finding and killing the Taliban. That's tr- straight up what Just it was. Straight up, yeah. yeah, we had a we had a few HVTs. We also had to track. Uh, so, 
Uh, we ended up capturing one of them. Mm. Uh, and those are high value targets. Yeah, high value targets, AVT. So we actually uh, had the uh, one of the leaders of the Taliban. We actually capture. Wow. Um, and uh, we, these are guys that probably at that time, and you know, some of them probably had seen action against Russia. These guys have more combat time than we, than we, <laughs> we have. I mean, trust me, these guys, you shoot a bullet on them, they're like, that's it, that's all you got? <laughs> they're like, come on, give me at least th three rockets before I even, you know, return fire. Right, it's right. like, cause other than that, I'm wasting my bullets. I yeah. mean, this guy's been around. Yeah. Uh, and you got to remember that they also got their internal wars going on in, in, in Afghanistan. Yeah. They're, they're fighting the Mujahideen right. and all that stuff, the Northern Alliance later on, you know. So these guys been So even war. past Russia, they've been, I mean, they've been fighting before that and they've yeah, been fighting Yeah, because they that. hate each other anyways. Yeah. You know? oh, so, yeah. Yeah. All the tribes. Yeah. Mean, so much think about it. It's all yeah. tribal over there. Right. So I mean, it's not the first time they they experience combat, and um, so yeah, it was. Uh, we we had a lot of missions there. I ended up getting targeted by the Taliban by name. Oh wow. Oh yeah, they put a twenty twenty. I, I believe because I got two. I got one in Iraq, one in <laughs> Afghanistan. I believe the one in Afghanistan was either twenty or twenty five thousand dollars back then. It was a lot, That's right? That's a lot of money. Uh, yeah. uh, bounty on my head to where they actually planned three different ambushes to target me and the captain in the team. Wow. Um, Why did they hit you so much? You're very likable. Well, this... <laughs> Well, we were trying to figure out why they wanted me. I'm like, yeah. I, I'm just this lonely six, right? Poppy, everybody's poppy, poppy. <laughs> so I'm just this lonely six running around, just in charge of the security in the base. That's it. I was the 18 Bravo, the senior 18 Bravo in the base, right? So I'm like, why the? F I understand the captain. First of all, you're black captain, so sorry, man. They don't like you. <laughs> and like, and two, you're the captain. They know you're the commander in this base, right? Because right? we had two captains, but our our team had the senior captain, so he was the commander in the base, and we're like. So we understand you. I don't understand me. Mm. Later on, we realized what it was. It was so I was a senior team Bravo. I was training the AMF, the Afghan military forces that were assigned to our base. Right. Gotcha. I trained them. I sat with them every day. I went to every checkpoint. They knew who I was. So when they go into town, they're talking about Poppy train us on this. Poppy train us on that. And Poppy did this. So they keep hearing Poppy. They think I'm somebody important. Mm. And I'm just some dumbass freaking E618 Bravo <laughs> just running around trying to learn Pashtun and probably saying the wrong things to them in Pashtun, right? <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, why they want me? And they ended up uh, actually targeting us a few times to where on purpose even the uh, one of the mayors of one of the cities of Lashkargah brought us to a meeting so he can lure us. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Of course, we already knew that yeah. for Intel, so we came heavy. Yeah. We changed routes and we showed up, but we also had air assets and they didn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> so they didn't execute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they didn't like, execute. Nah, we're not going to pull yeah, that off. We ain't going to mess with this guy. Yeah. So, yeah, but so so it was, our mission was anything. Anything that had to do with the enemy didn't matter. We could develop a target packet. And that was the beauty. We were living the special forces dream. Mm. We managed our sources. We collected the information, we build the intelligence packet, we build the target packet, and then we execute that packet. Yeah. So we were living the SF dream. You we were it. doing all what an ODA is supposed to be doing. Mm. This already sounds like your favorite deployment. One of my favorites. One of your favorites. I got to tell you, yeah. Iraq was pretty fun too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, but it was, uh, I, I think it was one of the, because it was my first deployment to Afghanistan. So it was a deployment that actually uh, built me to understand not only the, the loopholes around 
the system, right? Mm. They start getting stupid with now you need 50 pages PowerPoint before you can go in an operation. That was towards the end of our deployment. Our first deployment where we were nine months. Uh, and we're like, holy snap, bro. It's like the data can't even go through the system with 50 freaking PowerPoint slides and videos and freaking no, man. So back then there was enough bandwidth even for that. <laughs> no. So, so, and you're sending that through SATCOM too. You're like, well, Jeez. good luck, you know? And, uh, anyways, we're doing all that. And it, and it just, I just started going like, okay, the beginning of war. And then as war continues, how things start getting more political. Oh yeah. You saw yeah. it. You saw oh it right my up God. Yeah. I saw it and I hated it. Yeah. And I hated it. Did you and knew, did you know in those moments, I don't mean to interrupt, but did you know in those moments that that was going to interrupt the process for what you guys were trying to accomplish long-term? Oh, oh yeah. We yeah. knew it. Did you, we knew, you it. knew you were in trouble? Oh yeah. We knew it. Yeah. Like, uh, I want to say, uh, in month number six, we have, uh, at that point we have a high value target that was coming into town. This guy have not, I forgot his name, but this guy haven't been seen forever, right? Mm. So the fact that we knew he was coming to a meeting literally three miles from our base, right, was critical. We're like, there's going to be a meeting. They, they're planning on being there for about two hours, right? So we got a two hours window to execute this target. So we ended up sending the entire, you know, all the information, you know, the, the intelligence packet and all that to hire it up with our mission planning to have eyes on target to be able, you know, once he was identified that he was there, then we were going to move in and do the, the ground assault. Uh, frustrating, bro. Frustrating when I'm telling you that we sent this up and the first thing they said, well, this target, uh, hmm, we, we need to send this way higher for more approval. I'm like, what is different from this target from all the other ones we have done? They're HVTs as well, right? We have done with just a 5W, what, when, where, and why, and we just go and hit them. What is so different from this one? But the difference was more bureaucracy and more red tape was starting to be put in place, right? Uh. So they knew the time. They knew the date of the meeting. They knew our time window. We were so frustrated. Our vehicles Jeez. were ready. Uh, I remember one of the guys, Chuck, he was so pissed. You know, he was sitting in the vehicle and like, hey, Chuck, like, we don't even have approval. I'm like, oh, fucking ready, bro. <laughs> <I'm> like... <laughs> <laughs> we we have Mark, which was one of our 18 deltas, just in, like literally standing in the turret, just looking around. And we're like, I'm like, Mark, what what are you doing standing? In, like the gun is not gonna go anywhere. Like and he's like he's like, when they say go, I don't have to run. I'm here. And I'm like, and so you know, you got everybody fired up. It's a team that want to do their job, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, all of a sudden they send a message like, well, this sounds like uh, they're gonna have to provide this to Navy SEALs. And we're like. Navy SEALs are in Kandahar. We are three kilometers away, three and three miles away from this target. Oh my gosh. And they're like, well, and then what Navy SEAL says, oh, it takes us 72 hours to plan. Oh. I'm like, bro, you don't have 72 hours. Yeah. In two hours, this meeting begins. Oh they're like, oh no, no, no. 72 hours to plan. If not, we're not executing. I was like, we are freaking here. Yeah. Send us now. Yeah. Now you want to send air assets? Great, we'll take them. It's like, but right now, we need to execute. We got freaking 60 uh, uh, Afghan military forces with us. We got two special forces ODAs. You know, let's do this. Did we forget that this is war? E exactly. You know what ended up happening? They kept keeping us on standby, on standby. The uh, At one point, like, we knew, hey, guys, stand down. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen. Our source came to us, to the base, and said, dude, where were you guys? These guys are gone. Uh -huh. Right? 
the next day at night we receive okay you guys can execute well well great bro great <laughs> Did you even read the information in the target packet? Oh my we God. had a two-hour block, and that was yesterday. Jeez. Yesterday at one o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, well, if you want to execute, execute. If not, not. And like, what are we going to execute? He's gone. Where? We don't know where he is. Yeah, now yeah. he's gone. And, yeah. and boom, he went into hiding again. Mm. Right? So we're like, that, so that kind of stuff started getting to me yeah right and some other things that happen in combat that i didn't kind of like leadership wise and, and not with my team specifically but just leadership wise that happened yeah and uh that's when i came back from that deployment and i said well how can i affect the decision making process in mm -hmm. the team because obviously as an e6 i won't be able to change it right we got other e7s in the team they haven't been able to change it I just going to become a warrant officer. Mm. I'm going to be part of that decision-making process. Mm. And that's when I decided to do that. Wow. Of course, at that point, we got back a few months later. I made the E7 list. So nobody could say he's going warrant because he can make E7. Bro, I just made E7. Got it. Right. Don't, don't worry about it. Yeah, I'm still yeah. going warrant. Yeah. Right? So, <laughs> so, so anyways, I, and, and a year later, I, was, I went to the warrant course. That's awesome. But, uh, and, and that changed everything. When I did my first deployment to Iraq as a warrant, mm. it was a brand new W1. I literally left warrant officer basic course, came to my house to pack two days later. I was en route to Iraq. Wow. And my team was already there one week prior. Wow. So, so yeah, go ahead. I want to go back to that, uh, to Afghanistan, though. You know, you're learning the pains of bureaucracy obviously government intervention and warfare and probably the, the you know the mac v saw guys are standing over there like told you so <laughs> <laughs> that is true <laughs> been happening since after world war ii <laughs> you know we we can't fight the way we need to um and and in those moments you know you're, there's bureaucracy but also you're dealing with a very with the, with a very intelligent enemy did you realize when you were over there how intelligent they were you know, in the beginning, we didn't. Uh, to be honest, we thought we're, we're fighting this, you know, half-naked people that are living in the <laughs> caves, <laughs> in the caves, things like that. And, of course, we, we studied before we went there. So we knew these guys have been fighting wars for a while. So they understand warfare. Uh, they understand unconventional warfare as much as we do, right? right. So we knew that. But, but we're still going there thinking, okay, we're smarter than they are. Mm. So, you know, we got an advantage. And then you get there and you realize, holy snap, a lot of these guys are training the U.S. Mm. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, you know what that, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. You, you, yeah. Know, you go like yeah. a lot of these guys came from Pakistan or from some other places that trained with the U.S. in the past. Not only that, they're smart just because they're living in caves. Actually, they're kind of smart. They don't have to pay rent, right? Yeah. But, yeah. but think about it. Just we underestimated them a lot in the beginning. Because, hey, these are the guys wearing man jammies, living in caves, this and that. And uh, let me tell you, if you underestimate the Taliban as obviously we did as a nation and look, they took over the country again, right? right? If you underestimate them, they're going to take advantage of that. Mm. They're going to let you think that they're dumb. Right. And they're not. Yeah. They're super smart. They know what they're doing. These are people that are smart. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, you know, they they read books even that they tell you they don't you know we only read the quran 
No. Mm. These people know history and books and warfare better than we do. Mm. That's all they have time for. They're sitting in a cave with nothing to do. They're kicking it back in their hammock, just reading a book right. all day. Right. You know, they're smart. Yeah. And we, I think they we- They don't have all these technological interruptions. Correct. And, yeah. and I think we as a nation, we underestimated them. Mm, we, yeah. we did. Yeah. Uh, you got to think about it. This, this, these are people that, the kids, since they're five years old, they're out there with their parents helping them, you know, make bricks and build houses. And they're working. And they're learning how to shoot guns since they're five, six years old. Yeah. It's like, what are our kids doing when they're five, six years old? Definitely yeah. not that. Yeah. Right? So not only they're physically strong, they're mentally strong mm. and they're smart. Yeah. Yeah. So they kind of like got an advantage of us. Of course, we, we got the bigger military, right? right? We got the technology. We got other, all these other things that make us better. But if we underestimate, uh, underestimate them, we're already losing. Right. What, when was, were there any, you know, fights overseas in that first tour where it kind of surprised you where, the where the circumstance surprised you a little bit, where they threw you off a bit in any of those first actions. So, so there was one uh, which I was not in the actual fight when it first happened. We responded as the QRF, okay. but that's when we lost our first uh, seventh group, Greenberry. Mm. Um, and who was that? Uh, Orlando Morales. Orlando yeah, Morales. very good friend. And his daughter, him. his daughter still lives behind my house. Calls oh, me wow. tío, you know, wow. uncle. Uh, I mean, amazing. I, I've been there with her through growing up her graduation i gave the speech in her graduation and everything so wow. um he would be very proud of her i'm mm -hmm. I'm, I'm i'm sure he is mm -hmm. right yeah so anyway so when we lost them we uh our team responded we did not go that was just supposed to be just a standard uh meeting that civil affairs was doing and the other oda in our in our camp just escorting. Gotcha. They were just escort. That's it. So on the way back from that meeting, they got ambushed. Mm. Uh, ambush was pretty bad. And uh, anyways, when we responded, now I'm on my way there, I'm driving. And as I'm driving, everybody knew how close I was to Orlando. So when they hear over the radio, uh, the, the warning team at the time, heard over the radio who one of the casualties was and they were waiting on Medivac. Uh, he literally told me, JP pull over. I'm like, why? He's like, stop. I'm like, I'm like, pull over. He's like, we're in the middle of the desert. There's nowhere to pull over to. I just stop. And he's like, pull over. I'm like, ah, how about just stop? So you know, and like, I try to argue with the warrant. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, pull over where? There's no roads. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so you know, I like, I stop. And he told me, hey, I'll, I'll take the driver's seat. And I didn't know why he he told me that. Which it was actually a pretty good decision, right? He told me I take the driver's seat. He's like, okay. He starts driving. And then I sit in the, in the passenger seat, in the TC, and he, t he looks at me, he's like, hey, I need you to let everything out right now. He's like, because I need you in the game when we get there. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, for what I heard, Orlando is dead. Mm. And oh my God, that just threw me off, man. Yeah. I was so mad. I don't know how many times I checked my chamber to make sure I had a round in there. Mm -hmm. I swear to God, I think I checked there like 15 times and checking and I'm checking again and I'm tapping my magazine and taking my magazine out, looking, make sure it's full. I like put it back in and checking. I'm like, ah, somebody's going to pay for this, right? Mm, yeah. So, and he kept telling me, it's like, let it out now, JP. 
calm down, let her out now, let her out now. It's the first guy we lose, right, as one of our guys that we lose. We have lost Taliban, I mean, uh, uh, Afghans, but we have not lost one of our guys yet. Right. And uh, so I'm like, all right. So by the time I get there, of course, he keeps talking to me. And he did a very good job, I'll give him that, at just cooling me down and saying, I need your eyes wide open, not tunnel vision. I need you to see everything. So, of course, we get there. And uh, one thing that really threw me off, brother, and we're like, who the hell trained these guys? Mm. When we went to the ambush line, these guys had sector stakes laying on the ground in line 7-A Ranger handbook style. Mm. Ex- explain that to people. Uh, sector stakes are basically stakes that you put on the ground, right, and give you a left and right limit in an ambush so that uh, every person shooting got their own sector and all fires are interlocking and basically not giving any dead space in between. So you know whatever you're shooting is covered by someone, Jeez. right? And the 7-H-A is just basically the infantry uh, manual and ranger handbook teach you that as well on how to do that to do a proper ambush, mm. right? Uh, and let me tell you, so everybody was in the kill zone. Wow. And uh, and they were smart. They targeted all their fires in the last vehicle, too. Oh. So all the fires were targeting the, targeting the last vehicles. And when I saw that, I was like, these guys are next level. Mm. Right? Yeah. Whoever this group is, is not just your standard Taliban. Uh, you knew it was different. It was different. And that completely made me change my game. Uh, that one incident threw me off. I was nobody was expecting that. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, we knew we needed to change our tactics. We knew we needed to be more aggressive because they were getting more aggressive. Mm. Uh, wow. So of course we did our intel. We found out who planned the ambush, who was involved, and all that stuff. And we went with everything that we got. We even chased one of the chief, chief of police down the desert because he was involved. Wow. And he kept going and oh my god my my vehicle was about to blow up because we were trying to go so fast. I'm like, this thing go any faster? I'm like, I'm trying to blow. <laughs> and like, maybe I'm helping it, right? Giving some aerodynamics. And let me tell you, we 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 got him. We got some other people. We did multiple hits. And uh, But at that point, my mindset was different. Mm. I was more aware. I was more cautious as, at the same time. And we knew we can just go in there thinking, these guys in man jammies don't know what they're doing. Yeah. We need to expect that everywhere we go, they're going to have, uh, at that point, we had intel that there were a sniper training cap as well. So we knew they could possibly have snipers set up. We knew they had uh, uh, LPOPs set up. We knew they had sectors set up. So at that point, it was game on. It's like we're not just fighting the guys in the caves anymore. Mm. We're fighting a trained military force. Wow. Who were these guys in particular? Do you remember what the deal was with this particular group of Taliban? They were they were guys that came from Pakistan. Mm, okay. and, uh, yes, yes. As you as you often find, probably with some of these harder fighting forces, right? Of course, Correct. I'm sure native Taliban fight hard, but then you'll meet some of these groups from the outside that come in to fight jihad. Whether it's you know Pakistan or Somalis or Chechens or as we're seeing now. Yep. You know, and I, I, I can't I always push off on the gravity of people of like I try to get people to understand who uh, the Chechens are. And like, yeah. a, like, no, you don't understand. 
No, you don't. No, yeah. no, like sit down. <laughs> sit down, <laughs> let buddy. Me, let me tell. Let me tell you a story of some, some of high PTSD rates fighting against <laughs> the Russians back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Like these guys were cutting heads off before yeah. cutting heads off was popular. Like, yeah, yeah. They were. They, they made it popular. They made it, pop- <laughs> they, they made it viral. So yeah. these are bad dudes. Yeah. You got to understand. Yeah. In, and we had know that. we had Iranians as well oh, uh, wow. in that group. So yeah. we ended up finding out the Iranians were the ones providing sniper training. Jeez! And I, I'm, I'm telling you, it was it was crazy. So you're going, you know, you're going ten levels deep. Yeah, so you're finding out whole, you know, yeah. parts of this world that are involved in this. Oh, unfortunately, it took that one situation, unfortunate situation, to for us to understand that we need to step it up to mm-hmm. a different level. Did you did you have talks about that afterwards with your guys where everybody kind of realized like hey this was more than we thought. We did talk about the way they set up the ambush, the way they retreat like the I mean where they set up the ambush as well. You have no way of reacting or assaulting the ambush. Mm. There was a big ravine right in between that vehicles couldn't get through. Not even you on foot could barely get to. Now, then them because they're used to it, they can go across that thing but but we're watching them spread across <laughs> but we couldn't with all the gear right. that we're wearing and stuff like that uh because they they did send some guys through the ambush line and stole some equipment wow. so we knew they got down there and we were trying to figure out how the hell did they get up here because we can get to where they're at so we literally had to go half click around to be able to go where they set up that ambush line mm. so so they had hit you guys pretty hard. Pretty hard. Right. They knew they were protected. They knew that the only thing that could happen is them taking fire. We couldn't assault through. We couldn't do anything except to watch them do it and leave, wow. right? And uh, But at that point when we got back that day, we're sitting down and the conversation about the sector stakes came up. Mm. And I think, and of course, the ravine, not being able to assault through, we talk about that. And after that, there was no other conversation about hey, guys, these are, you know, these are next level. These guys are better trained, this and that. Nobody really had to talk about it. We knew. You knew. As soon as that conversation came out, we all knew. Yeah. There was no talks about it. There's no step it up. You could see it in every guy's face that the game changed. You don't have to tell those guys that. No. You don't have to tell them to move up a level. No, they knew it. Yeah. And you could see every time we left that base after that, mm. there, there was a different level. That's and I'm cool. not saying th- I'm not saying that before we did not have a high level of security right. or a high level. It's just you knew you were fighting somebody a little bit different. You needed to adjust your yeah. tactics. Different, That's un- all it Different was. understanding, adapting. Correct. Yeah, adapting. You just needed to adapt. Yeah, you yeah. just needed to adapt, and that's what we did. That's interesting. How, do, so, how many guys did you lose on that tour? Are you casualties you took was so that one deployment in uh in in my base in my in my the two teams that we had we lost uh one TACP that okay. died with Orlando that day. Gotcha. And then we la- lost Orlando, and then we got another guy that was uh, injured severely, mm. and um, so he ended up getting reinstated back in the army later. Oh wow! Uh, but yeah. Tom Douglas, great dude. Tom Douglas. Uh, but uh, I'm glad he's still with us. Yeah, great, awesome. great dude. But uh, yeah, he was he was touch and go too for a while, so mm. we didn't know if he was gonna make it. But uh, so uh, we load those two, and um, in the other teams, we didn't lose anybody else. We had injuries and we had uh, things like that. But 
those are the only the only two that we lost in that entire nine months. So you felt pretty successful through oh, yeah. that mission. Yeah. yeah. Like you guys did the job. I mean, think about it. We only we only lost two guys and, and that's too too many. Yeah. But we lost two guys in a nine month deployment where every single ODA was actively conducting missions and hitting targets almost every day. Jeez. That was that's you're pretty in a, good. you're in a rough part of Afghanistan too. Oh yeah. This is early days, Helmand yeah. Province. Like nobody really knows the territory. That oh, time. that was that was cowboy territory yeah. right there. <laughs> you're in the Wild West. You. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been it's nasty. Standing yeah. and fighting, right? Yeah. No IED tactics really at the time. No. Right? Uh, we <laughs> now that you mention IED, we actually found the earliest signs of an IED and this guy completely failed. Yeah. We we saw a little pipe bomb on the side of the road that, that one of the Afghans kind of like uh, go like, Hey listen, there's a bomb over there. When we went over there, even <laughs> even at eighteen Charlie's the, the engineer science started laughing, they were like Man, this guy is gonna get in trouble because uh, <laughs> he he did a pipe bomb and he looked really pretty, yeah. uh, and he had a one of those old you know uh, clocks that you gotta wind up and stuff like that, <laughs> and the cables weren't even connected. Like oh, he no. for, he forgot to connect the cables oh, no. before he left the bomb there. So we're like we're like man, this guy completely failed bomb school, uh, which, which which is great for us, yeah, right? Great for but, you. But actually, that was the first time we saw anything like it. So mm. we're like, okay, these guys are trying to employ something different. Maybe it's just just maybe we're just maybe lucky. it's just an attempt i th- yeah i yeah. think it, i think it was just an attempt to uh uh hit they were trying to hit amf not us no but you maybe you're thinking that like oh you know maybe this isn't something that's going to get employed all the time maybe it's yeah just, no just, we thought that we're just testing it out right trying to figure out if this is going to be uh it was not until years later when the ieds got popular in Iraq, yeah. that Afghanistan were like, oh snap! <laughs> Hold remember, on, you remember that? Yeah, we can use that. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's start using that too. Because wow. in Af- in Afghanistan, a lot of times you didn't even need the uh, Taliban to do uh, IEDs because you were driving on top of freaking Russian landmines that yeah. were left uh, behind. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we're so like, oh yeah, we didn't even have to do that one. There we go. We didn't even have to take them out. Russians, thank you for yeah. leaving that behind yeah. and not marking it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah, because yeah, I, I remember the uh, uh, the Polish, uh, the, uh, who else? The the Brits, they used to drive down the desert like they didn't give, give a damn and all of a sudden one of their vehicles blow up. Two weeks later, driving down the same route and I'm like, are you, are you Bro, <laughs> bro, that's where you're. Uh, you see that vehicle there disabled? That's yours. <laughs> yeah, that's yours. Yeah. <laughs> Let's catch a hint, boys. And, and they're like, well, maybe we got lucky this time. Yeah, yeah. You know, and they just like keep going. I'm like, no, man, I'll go around. Bro. Yeah. I'm good. <laughs> I'm going to pause it and get another drink. Yeah, go ahead, bro. You want another? Sure, bro. So we were talking about that first deployment obviously and and you you know you leave there you felt pretty successful you come back to the states you know you want to go chief warrant by then so you want to become one of the unmarked men <laughs> one of the scary guys i don't know what that rank is what is it <laughs> i don't know <laughs> he can do anything <laughs> that's just what i always thought of chief warrant officer it's like he can do whatever he wants do we salute do we go to parade rest what do we do here <laughs> <laughs> Whatever he says goes. <laughs> yeah. Especially, especially in SF, because oh, you know, yeah, I bet. to be a, a warrant officer in SF, you have to be enlisted before. Yeah. So you know, so 
So when you're a warrant officer in special forces, you already got that NCO experience. Right. And now you got to deal as an officer. A lot of times we don't grow up fast enough to become an officer. We're like, we're still a W-2 acting like an E-7, you know? Right. So we're like, oh, oh, oh hold on, I'm an officer now. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I got to figure this out. Yeah. <laughs> and the respect kind of comes naturally for that position because guys know that they've been through it a little bit. Well, you know, I think that uh, luckily for me, uh, I had a pretty good reputation. So when I came back as a warrant officer, not only not only guys respected me, but I came back to the very same team. Mm. So wow. they only I only left so for, they had already known you. for the basic course and I came back to the very same team. So not only they already know me, the the team sergeant that was there was the the 18 Fox, the Intel sergeant when I was an 18 Bravo. Wow. So now I come back and I'm the second in command of the team. And he's a team star, and he's looking at me like, sir? <laughs> or chief? Oh, of course, there was a lot of mutual respect, right? Right. Because uh, I will never take anything away from, from a team sergeant that, that's yeah. been there and done it, right? Right. So there was a lot of mutual respect. Yeah. Uh, but And the dynamic's a little bit different on a special operations correct, team, right? Correct. Yeah. But the, the understanding was there that, you know, at some point, if things get out of control, I will have to step in. Yeah. Right. right yeah. Because at the end of the day, who are they going to blame? They're going to blame the officers. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. it's like, uh, like, listen, at some point I got to step in. As long as I don't have to step in, I don't, I don't care how you run the team. Yeah. You do your thing, man. I'm here trying to find those missions. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're able to affect a little more change in this position now. Man, it, Yes. Is it night and day? Is it so different? It it was night and day. It's funny. I tell people all the time, believe it or not, you can be an E7 on a team right now, right? And you come over and you said, hey, let's drink Dog Hook today, Mm -hmm. right? And the team sergeant, the the warren, and the captain are sitting over there looking, going like, Dog Hook, yeah, it sounds sounds delicious. Uh, Okay, we'll take it in consideration. Great. You walk out of the team room, you come back the next day with one single dot on your shoulder, and you look at the captain, and it's like, hey, sir, I think that we should drink dog hook. Chief, that's a great idea. <laughs> and you're like, dude, I'm the same dude that was here yesterday with an E7 rank, man. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so yes, it does make a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, your reputation as an NCO will follow you later as a warrant as well. Right. So if you are a shitbag mm-hmm. NCO, First of all, I hope they don't accept your warrant packet, right? Yeah. But two, if you do become a warrant, it will follow you. You're going to have to earn a different kind of respect at that point. You're like, you're going to have to start over now as a warrant. It's not going to it's not gonna just roll over from NCO. You're starting over. You're going to have to prove yourself differently now yeah. if you want to have some kind of reputation. I didn't think about that. Wow, yeah. that's an interesting dynamic for sure. So... You're stepping into that role, and you guys are, I mean, you're hitting the ground in Iraq pretty early. You said you just came back to the house. Yeah, correct. You, you yeah, get geared up. So uh, I was in Iraq in 2005. 2005. So <clears throat> that was the same time that I joined, and 05 was a hot time for surge, really, for surge. You know, we're surging over there. Things are getting dynamic on the ground. It's getting hot. You know, you're hearing about guys and units that are 18 months over there and, you know, in 250, 260 firefights, you know. I mean, almost on the daily where it's getting rough, rough, you know, what was the, what, how was it different and how much did your experience in Afghanistan help what you faced in Iraq? Obviously completely different environments. What was it like, the difference between Iraq and Afghanistan? I think the mindset, 
mindset mindset was completely different um from the first you know from my very first deployment to afghanistan and then in iraq it was completely different uh i knew that you know at this point i'm not going to un underestimate anyone mm -hmm. i'm going to take every single enemy as they're the most badass mofos out there the most fearful fighting force there is and i every time i go out i'm going to think about them that way and you're, that way and you'd already experienced loss correct losing one of your correct. closest friends that way i will never underestimate the enemy ever again yeah. uh so that was one of the things the other one uh was that you know i started learning oh man the culture is different uh the enemy fights differently mm. uh, right so i was in al hila in babylon uh in babylon area and old history oh old man old history we're getting biblical here <laughs> oh, yeah. so re remind me to talk about babylon later because yeah. we, we got a funny story about that but, okay, okay but so i'm in that area and the, the militia was all over the place at that mm. point and uh so and you know those guys were all about fighting mm. you know so explain to people who the mighty militia was so, so, so in Iraq, you had the different, different, uh, uh, basically groups, right? The Mahdi militia was one of the ones that was, uh, uh, basically in the south, mm -hmm. uh, but they were, they were trying to take over basically the government, mm -hmm. uh, and they at that point in Iraq, they were getting very, very, very aggressive towards towards U.S. forces. They were employing a lot of IEDs, uh, and they were doing a lot of ambushes. They actually killed a lot of Marines with IEDs, mm -hmm. uh. And BVIDs as well, the vehicle-borne improvised explosive devices. Uh, so they were one of the main efforts for the CJ Sotif with the Combined Joint Special Operations Task Force. Uh, they they were one of the main efforts. They're like, you need, you guys need to target the Mac, the militia at all costs because we need to stop what they're doing. Hmm. And uh, and let me tell you, it was all over the place. We we needed to be on our feet at all times, like. We had to be aware of what we were doing. Now, luckily for us, we had a badass fighting force. Not only we had one special force ODA, we were with the Salvadoran Cuscatlan, which is the uh, one of their battalions, and we worked directly with the commandos, Salvadoran commandos. I didn't even know the Salvadorians were. Oh over. yeah, yeah. I, I got some stories for you about the Salvadorans. <laughs> Let me tell you, they put they put the insurgencies uh, on their knees at one point. Uh, oh like, really? The insurgency did not want to have. Anything to do with the Salvadorans? So like really? you, you see those little brown guys? Yeah, leave them alone. Ooh. Do not shoot at them. So fair to say, tough fighters, Salvadorians. Oh yeah, let me tell you, amazing, amazing. I'll go, I'll I'll go to any war with them. <laughs> oh yeah, that's one of the fighting forces you would like to go to war with. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I that's I'm still in touch with all those guys. Oh, you've stayed in touch. Oh yeah, like I've yeah. been in, in uh, after I retire, I've been in El Salvador a few times, uh, and uh, let me tell you, every time I go there, they I better let them know. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. bet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have a terrible time over there. <laughs> horrible, horrible. I just hate it. I just feel like I need to go, but I don't want to. No, no, it's it's a great time. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Did you know that they were going to be as effective as they were? Did you have any clue? Uh, you know what? Uh, we we have already done our, our our homework and we have talked to other guys in seventh group that uh you know fought with the salvadorans during the war civil war in el salvador uh. so we we talked to them and we and they told us hey man th these guys are the real deal it's like and so <clears throat> back then salvadorans in in 2004 which which is actually when i got to um iraq 2004 salvadorans were the only 
Latin American country that was still in Iraq. So, you know, Dominicans have pulled out, everybody else have, is gone. So the Salvadorans wanted to stay, but they were having some issues when it came to air support, right? So they they made the request to the Secretary of Defense saying, hey, listen, we're willing to stay because the, the United States military wanted them to stay. The U.S. government wanted them to stay. They'd seen how effective they yes, were. Yes, and they said, well, the only way we stay if is if you send a Special Forces ODA with us. And uh, they said, well, why Special Forces? Is like, we work with them during our war. We trust them. We want them back. Green Berets and only Green Berets. That's cool. So SecDef approved. And the Special Forces Liaison Element with Salvadoran Cuscatlan began. Wow. We were the very first Special Forces Liaison Element with the Salvadorans. Wow. So we showed up. We already knew they were pretty badass. And we have... Uh, we have a few guys over there that were part of the SEAD, which is their, their basically their counterterrorism guys. Okay. And uh, and we have worked with them before. Mm-hmm. So we're like, okay, I know some of those guys are badass. The commandos are here. And they also have a lot of engineers, medical support, because they were there in a humanitarian mission. Right. Kind of. And they- <laughs> uh, kind, of, kind of. Kind of. Kind of. They were humanitarian, but they're like, please shoot at us. Please shoot at us. Uh, so, so yeah, so we ended up uh, uh, spending a lot of time with those guys over there. Like, they were our main, basically, they were our mission. Our mm-hmm. mission was to be with them, supporting in whatever they needed, any operations they needed. Of course, they ended up going like, what you guys got going on? I'm like, hey, bro, we got nothing going on unless you got something going on. And they're like, but if you got something going on, we got to go with you too because we were instructor, uh, instructed to go with you wherever you go. And we're like, oh, we're going to play this game. Wink, wink. Okay, well, now we plan missions and you got to accompany us because, you know, the Americans are going somewhere. We got to go with them. And then when you got something, we're like, well, the Salvadorans are going somewhere. We got to go with them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So it ended up working out great. Works out perfect, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a good mission set right It there, was dude. freaking amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. How how, how uh, tough was the dynamic in Iraq? Wouldn't, you know, fighting against the enemy that you were fighting particularly there. You talked about the Mahdi militia, which you're facing there. How tough was that fight? I think the 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 fact that we were more in an urban environment uh, kind of changed the dynamic from compared to Afghanistan, right? <clears throat> so over there, you got an urban environment. You got to worry more about civilians because uh, you might be getting fires from one specific building from the first floor, but the second floor is full of kids and families are looking out of the window trying to figure out what's going on. And uh, and they've seen firefights before, so they're not afraid of looking out of the window either, right? right? So so it was very, very uh, scary in the way that you're like, man, I hope that none of my bullets hit the wrong person, right. especially kids. You know, yeah. you, you think about kids all the time. And uh, But no, I, I don't think it was scary. Uh, we actually had a joke, like every time we went out of the gate, that my team kept messing with me because they're like, then chief, you haven't had a haircut, but your je- your hair is full of gel. I'm like, baby, I always put gel every time we went out on a mission. They're like, why? It's like, because there's no way I'm going to die and I'm going to be in the news with bad hair. <laughs> <laughs> and they always laugh about that. It got to the point where some of my guys in my team, they're like, 
oh, chief, we're about to go. And they give me like a little bottle of water and, and a little thing of gel. They're like, come on, gel up, baby, gel up. <laughs> gel up. I, I, I'm, like, I'm like, yeah, my hair is kinky right now. You know, I haven't had a haircut. I, I got a fro as it is. So, you know, I, I put my hair back and they're I, I'm like, I, I hate putting the helmet on because it's going gonna to mess my hair. <laughs> bro, I, you, were working for, you were working for a seal book deal, bro. No, and I also told them, it's like, there's no way, there's no way anybody's going to cut my head off one while I'm alive and two with bad hair yeah, it's not going to freaking happen <laughs> right so there was one day we're going in this mission mm-hmm. and I get in the vehicle we're, we're in a rush because we get called for QRF we freaking jump in the vehicle man we're heading out and one of the guys in terror Bruno he's a warrant officer now okay. Bruno looked down and he's like oh shit chief and I go like what Bruno what and he goes like you forgot your jail <laughs> and I go like Oh, shit. Well, guess what? Yeah, we ain't dying today. <laughs> not today. Today, we ain't dying because I am not going to be in the newspaper with bad hair. It's Dude. not happening. It's not happening. They're like, we got you, chief. We got you. That's awesome, and actually, man. funny story is the same day Bruno saved my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't say that and not tell me what happened. <laughs> well, it, it was basically a vehicle that was trying to ram our vehicle. I guess he figured target opportunity. I don't have a bomb in the vehicle, but if I go right into that door, I'm going to kill that guy. Mm. And he just stepped on it and went right at us. And uh, Bruno, quickly, he had his gun pointed at the threat, at the bigger threat that was right in front of us. Mm. So this guy was about to hit my door, and he was coming so fast. I don't care if I was in an armored vehicle. Yeah. I'll, You'd be dead. Yeah, I'll be dead. Yeah. And Bruno reacted so fast. He's like, I don't have time. You know, it's his thinking. You know, he's like, I don't have time to turn this turret and engage that vehicle. It's just happening too fast. He pulled out his pistol and accurately engaged that vehicle, hitting the passenger in the very first shot, shot a few more times, and the vehicle deviated and went to the side. Wow. And he was, and you could tell in his face, he was gunning for me. Wow. He's like, yeah. target of opportunity, you're here. I'm going to take you out. Wow. And uh, so I'm like, Bruno, you saved my life. He's like, I got you, chief. Remember, you ain't got no jail. You, you, ain't, ain't, you, no ain't, jail. you ain't dying today, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I love that guy. That, I love that. That's it. I mean, you know that guy your life. Yeah. yeah. But but yeah, so he was jail all the time. You know, you got those little things that you do in combat. You know, yeah. like that was one of mine. Jail all yeah. the time. Of course, I didn't have a book deal yet. So, of course, I'm not a SEAL. <laughs> No book deal, no, no movie book deal. deal, no movie deal. You're not a seal. <laughs> I got very good friends that are seals, yeah, so yeah. they know I mess yeah. with them. Anyway. Oh yeah, dude, I know some great ones for sure. Um, so that mission and you know being on that deployment, how, how you know we talked about the different dynamic between there and Afghanistan. Obviously, it was very different places, and I think the assumption is. Maybe it's the same as it is with maybe it's just something we we naturally do, you know, being like Caucasian, right? Like we're from the US. Oh, they're brown. They're they're Muslim. They're they're all the same. <laughs> they're all the same. <laughs> Taliban, Al Qaeda, you know, same groups. It's like very different people. Um, very different areas, very different ways of fighting. What was the experience of the of what you face in the fighters in Iraq? I'll tell you what, Iraqis, uh, Taliban are, are, at least in my experience, they, when they see the heavy firing coming, when they see the, the, the support and, and, you know, fire superiority, most of the time they'll, they'll run and leave to fight another day. Right, right. The Iraqis were a little bit different. Mm. They, they will fight to the death. 
Mm. Right. So there's no, you know, let, let's establish fire superiority. Let's do this. And they ain't gonna, gonna end up leaving. And it's like, no, you're gonna have to kill them. Somebody's right. dying. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and it was also depending on who you were fighting in, in Iraq. Cause again, there was different factions, right? Right. So it's, who are you fighting? And let me tell you, if you were fighting the Magdi, they, they fought. Yeah. Yeah, they fought. I heard they were. I heard they were rough. Yeah, they, they were pretty rough. Yeah, they were pretty rough. Yeah. I remember. So this 2004, about to be December, and I remember when they told us, "Hey, listen, elections are coming up." Matt militia got some talks of possibly in the future start endorsing some uh, candidates, right, for government. Uh, they're like, elections are coming up. They don't want the Maddy to disrupt the elections because that's what they're trying to do. So if you got any targets. Whether you got a little bit of intel or a lot of intel, whether you got a full target packet or beginning to put a target packet, hit him. Bro, when I tell you we went two weeks hitting targets, there was one night we hit 37 targets in one night. Wow. And we were coming back as the guys are taking naps and sleeping. We're right, me and the captain and one of the other guys are writing a report. And by the time we get those sending that report, the guys are getting back up refitting let's go i'm like all right you're that guys i was i was on go pills red bull coke and coffee and i was still falling asleep on the way to the targets <laughs> bro I'm, I'm serious i'm hitting my rifle with my freaking chin because oh, wow. i was falling asleep on the way to the target wow. now of course that's when they told me hey 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 chief yeah we're, we're two clicks i'm like boom i'm up and fucking game on yeah i like but i like i like bro fucking for like two weeks it got to the point where cj Sotty had to give us the order to stand down because we wouldn't stop. Wow. They're like, you guys will stand down for at least 72 hours and get some rest. We're like, no, we got more targets. <laughs> We're good. Give me more coffee. Give me an Adderall. I'll be good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what, I mean, those Adderalls were the shit. <laughs> so anyways, like, I'll be good, right? So they, they actually literally told us to stand down and they kept calling to make sure we were still, <laughs> we were still there and yeah. not hitting targets. Yeah. But yeah, but it was, he got that crazy. Wow. Uh, and like tell you, the mad they didn't stop. They kept they kept building bombs. They kept trying to kill U.S. forces and and things like that. So mm. I mean, we had no choice but to keep hitting them too. You know. Yeah, absolutely. You yep. gotta bring the fight to the enemy. Yep. The IED threat was real. Yeah. Oh, point. it was real, man. Let me tell you, uh, we. I want to say, I tell people as a joke all the time when they tell me, "Hey, JP, you know why you enjoy life so much?" I always say this because I already died a few times. Mm. And people were like, how the hell did you die a few times? You can only die once. I'm like, well, you know what I mean. I almost died more than a few times, yeah, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm telling you, man, there was an ID that was supposed to get me. It didn't get me. Uh, and th those are one of those times that speed is security. So every time we went to D1E or any, you know, in Iraq, D1E or any of those places like that, and we're driving those long-ass roads going into the target, like, that's that's the city right there. This is the long road, you know, yeah. leading to that city. Only you know they're going to have IEDs here. Oh, yeah. So, man, what we started learning is, like, these guys are timing their IEDs and where, where to hit, you know. the the Some of them were re remotely, but some of them were, like, literally the, the guys there with the fucking clacker waiting. Right, right. And uh, so we started noticing that they're used to regular army convoys mm. right they're going 35 
45 miles per hour down the road. They started timing them based on that. Here is the crazy SFODA going down that road at 75. Like the, <laughs> the GMB can barely freaking keep up because we are going faster than the GMB and we're sitting inside, right? <laughs> so like we are stepping on that thing as fast as we can go. So by the time that they hit that, boom, the vehicles are passed. Right. And we saw one big flash right behind us. And we're like, man, that was for my vehicle. <laughs> I'm like, holy snap. And th this is the thing that I tell people all the time. Because I heard people before. It's like, how how a Navy SEAL or, or Marine Raider or Green Beret gets killed by an IED. I'm like, you know how? Because there's nothing you can do about an IED. Yeah. Except not being there. Yeah. Right? I don't care how badass you are. That IED... Yeah. It's going you there's no defense against that mm -hmm. unless you don't go by that road or you happen to see the ID there and clear it before. But mm -hmm. once the ID goes off, I don't care how badass you are, you you can't go out against two uh, one five five rounds put together. <laughs> you yeah. know? Fifty pounds of HME. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Yeah, you, you there's nothing you can do. And yeah. and let me tell you those uh, the, the, our biggest threat over there was IDs and BBIDs. There was a lot of targets that we went to and we saw that one vehicle right next to the target and we're like is that just the car they use or mm. that car is prep yeah so we we had actually we have one target uh that we went to that the vehicle we had information that the vehicle parked right in front was a bvid wow and of course that was not even our target we were doing a mission with the polish and the latvians uh. and um and they wanted to wanted us to go with them and we're like yeah we'll go with you and so we're like okay yeah we'll 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 pull your you know your cordon outer cordon security for you yeah that that's cool brother no no problem anything to get out of this base let's do it yeah and then once the intel guy briefed that there was a BVID in front of the house they go like hey Americans yeah you want to do the breaching you guys you guys like that stuff <laughs> of course the door that we needed to breach was right next to the vehicle <laughs> 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 and, and we look at him and we're like. Are you freaking serious right now? Yeah. And, they, and they go like, yeah, man, you know what? How about you, you take point on this mission? Yeah, yeah. And we're like, okay. So we were smarter than them. We're like, all right. Hey, guys, yeah. Fucking, you got an AT4? Yeah, let's blow up that vehicle right now. Let's figure out what's inside. <laughs> <laughs> we were smarter not than them. Not taking any chances, Yeah, we're not bro. taking any chances. Yeah, so yeah. we went and hit the house and all that. Yeah. Guess what? The vehicle had no bombs. The house was the wrong one. <laughs> So, so luckily for us, we're in the house and we're asking this lady, hey, who are this, this, and that? They're like, you guys got the wrong house, guys. And she was so <laughs> nice that I, as we're going through her house, like we blew two doors in the inside because they were locked. So we blew the door with, with charges and all that shit. And she's over there going like, you guys want some tea? <laughs> <laughs> so of course, like like Grace, green, great green birds that we are, we're like, yeah. The Latvians and Polish Intel was fucked. <laughs> How do we fix this? Because right now they're looking at Americans. They're not looking at Latvians no, didn't no, come no, in with no, us or no. the Polish. They're outside. Yeah. So like, how do we fix this? We're like, so, you know, we, we tell the lady, hey, listen, sorry, we apologize for this. We were told that this guy lives here. And she's like, oh, no, you want to know? Who he so she gave us the info, mm. luckily. But we were like, huh. So we're like, ma'am, we're going to give you this money. Is like to replace your door. She's like, and then she started counting it. And she goes like, oh, no, no, no. This is way more than I need for the doors. I'm like, no, no, wow. this is for your troubles. And by the way, we're sending people to fix your doors and do any repairs that need to be done. So we look at the wow. uh, Iraqi, you know, the Hila Swat, and we're like, hey, guys, yeah, 
we need contractors to go there. Like, fine. Oh, no, my cousin, he knows how to work on that, this and that. I'm like, here's money. Buy everything. Fix it. So they went the next day and they fixed it. Oh, and cool. They came back and the, the lady wanted us to go back because she wanted to cook for us. We're like, no, lady, it's okay. <laughs> We're good. We already feel bad. We destroyed your house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't need to show up for food. Yeah, we don't need <laughs> don't to show up for food. don't know what will happen. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. But, but yeah, so that's the kind of shit that happens <laughs> when you trust the Polish and Latvians. Yeah. I mean, normally they were pretty good, but, yeah, yeah, but yeah. a lot of times they reacted on information that somebody else gave to somebody else that gave to somebody else. Right, right. And uh, of course... And you, and you realize in, that your intelligence is some of the best in the world. Like, you know, these moments like, you know, well, we've got good intelligence. Yeah. 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 Oh, no, no. We, we do. And they did. They, they got some good intelligence. I, I want to say that a lot of times what happened with them is they got the information. Mm. Very good information. They did not know how to how to process it and make it intelligent. through that information. Correct. Right. Correct. Yeah. So... Yeah, how long was that deployment? Correct. That one was six, seven months. Six or seven yep. months. And did you feel like you guys were really effective on that tour? Oh my God, yes, yeah. yes, yes. You seemed did. to really enjoy that tour. That was. Oh a, my God, that was, that was for you. It, it it was an amazing tour. I had a great team. Uh, we had uh, one of the first SF babies that that came came to group during the SF baby program, which is ah. you know the SF guys that were recruited straight all the out of yeah all the X rays, yeah. right? Yeah. And so we call them SF babies. Mm-hmm. Right now we can't do that because apparently that that hurts people's feelings <laughs> if you call them SF babies. But I'm old school, so you, SF you can babies. You call them all day on the podcast. A- SF babies care. it is, all right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But let me tell you, we had a, an amazing guy. Mm. Um, he was so freaking awesome. We I ended up, because he was a college grader. He had like a master's degree or whatever. Yeah. And so every time I wrote my reports, I'm like, hey, Sean, yeah, hey, can you uh, spell check that? <laughs> So, you know, so he, he read my report, my Spanglish shit. Yeah. And he's like, hey, Chief, yeah, do you mind if I change this word into this? And I'm like, yeah, go ahead. And then I read it again. I'm like, man, he looks great. He got to the point where I came back. And I was like, hey, Sean, this is what I want to write in that report. He's like, I got you. <laughs> and then he wrote it. And he got, and I checked it. And he sent it. Towards the end of the deployment, he was like, hey, Sean, I want to write this. Yeah, go ahead and send it. <laughs> and he just wrote the report and sent it. So if he said, hey, Colonel fuck off yeah i was in trouble because he had my signature on it yeah they would have never known yeah they would have never known but no but he was amazing and you know he was i had a great team yeah. the mission was amazing luckily we were the first sifli so nobody really knew what our rules were mm. so cj sort of knew we were there but we're in the sectif orders so we don't really belong to the the aobs or you know that were in charge over there like fifth group yeah. that, that was there we didn't really belong to them. Yeah. And uh, so we didn't really have to report our missions to them. We just got to let them know if we need a QRF. But of course, we established a really good report with the good. fifth group guys. We're yeah. like, hey, listen, we're here. If you need QRF, we're here. Yeah. If we need QRF, can we call you guys? And they're like, well, freaking yeah, you're brothers, man. Just yeah. let us know. Yeah. So we had a really good relationship with those guys and just ended up being an amazing mission. Once again, it's like we had a free reign to do whatever we wanted to do and not in a bad way it's like we could actually get the mission accomplished right right that's awesome that's good yeah and you felt like you probably had uh you probably felt like you had a greater impact in that way being a chief warrant officer on your first time as a chief warrant officer being over there correct so much yeah he was the the difference was night and day and even some of the guys in the team that were senior and knew me already as an enlisted uh they told me jp we're glad we have you as a warning team. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Has 
<clears throat> did uh, did you guys lose anyone on that particular tour? No, not, not a single person. Man, we we lost a lot of Hila SWAT guys. Yeah, uh, but not during missions. Mm. We lost them during BVIDs. You know, there were uh, there was one that was right across our base, and there was the the police station gym. And uh, as they were coming out from doing training in the morning, a BVID hit and killed all of them. Oh, geez. so we lost like what about? 20 guys that day. Oh, my God. Uh, guys that we were just in a mission two days prior. That's a big explosion. Oh, yeah. Jeez. Um, did you notice the differences in technology that were being employed? Obviously, because the first term IEDs were all pretty large explosions. They, they weren't very accurate, but if they did hit you, dude, like apocalyptic, you know? <laughs> I mean, I remember watching IEDs in the early days, Kid a Convoy, and be like, the whole convoy's gone. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, what the There's hell There's no more here? trucks. <laughs> the screen just goes white. You're yep. like, oh, everybody's dead. Yeah, yeah. There was like, yeah. yeah. But they became more surgical, obviously, with the FPs and the way that they were using those penetration devices. Did you notice that that first tour, or did you notice as you went on advancing tours? They, uh, no, in that first tour, you could already see, you could already see that the, the IEDs were a little bit more directional. Yeah. So yeah. they they were they knew exactly what they wanted to target, right? And uh, so it was not like we're gonna take this whole block. Uh, we want to take within this block, this little space, mm. and uh, and they got really accurate with that. Uh, their technology for remotely detonating the uh, IDs as well became better. Uh, they they knew that the U.S. military had capabilities of jamming cell phone towers and all that. Right. So they reverted back to satellite phones. Mm. Uh, I mean, they, they they did a lot of adjustments to so their systems. they took systems. one step back to take two steps forward, essentially. Correct. Yeah. So they, they started adjusting their systems in a way where they were effective and we were trying to catch up, yeah. basically. Ah, oh, interesting. So <clears throat> that's your... You get back to the U.S. after that tour. What was going on in your life? How, how did you feel about these contacts that you'd been in, uh, what you'd seen over there? Did you feel like you adjusted pretty well mentally coming back? Did you notice a difference? Was JP changing a little bit? Was there? You'd been in for a little bit by now, obviously, 95 to 2005. You'd yeah. already been in 10 years. So did, did you notice things changing for you mentally at all, or did you feel like there were changes going on? Yeah, yeah. Uh... I mean, you grow up more, of course. You know, you 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 start looking at life in a different way. Yeah. Uh, you start appreciating life more. Oh yeah. Um, <clears throat> but at the same time, you start having that survival's guilt, mm. right? Mm. Uh, and it just, of course, at that point, my son was two years old. Just had a son; he was two years old, uh, and. Uh, so I was like enjoying my time with him, but at the same time, in my mind was going like, "In what kind of world my son is growing up?" And yeah. you know, so you start you start going like, "Man, what the hell is happening around the world? Is, is my son gonna have to continue to fight this war for me?" Which I seen it already. Some of my friends, their kids oh, yeah. are actually were serving in Afghanistan later. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Michael Rodriguez. Yeah, yeah. So so you start thinking about things like that, you know, it starts starts hitting you a little bit. Yeah, and then. Um, and then when I, that first deployment to, to Iraq really, really got me. Uh, and um, there was, at that point, now it's, because I got there in 2004, 2005, now one of the biggest IDs or BVIDs uh, on t up to that point in, in, uh, in Iraq happened right there in Hila. 
um, it happened right in front of the police recruiting station, mm. but it was in the bazaar. Oh, wow. It happened right in the middle of the market. Oof. Right in the middle of the day. Catastrophic. So we are actually in our base, which is only a few miles away, and it shook my entire connex. Wow. And we're like, what the heck just happened? And we 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 run to towards the top of one of the buildings where we had a little ladder just to so we can look outside and stuff like that. We go over there and we see the smoke coming from the middle of the town. We're like, something bad just happened. Oh shit! I wonder if it was our SWAT guys because the smoke was coming from that vicinity. So we're like, no man. So we get on the phone and I call Colonel Bass. I go like, Colonel, hey, what's going on? He's like, bad puppy, very bad. Mm. BBID, lots of them. So we're like, you need help? He's like, security, please. So we're like, all right. So we, Salvadorans and ourselves, we just drove over there. Uh, we established security. We had some of the uh, Marine Anglico with us. Mm. Great dudes, by the way. Yeah. Not all Marines are bad. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, great dudes. Marine Anglico, uh, uh, Air Naval Gunfire Liaison Element. Okay. And um, I'd never heard of that. Yeah, yeah, they, they were amazing crew. So they, they went with us. They're like, no, wherever you guys go, we go. I'm like, all right. Yeah. So we went over there and uh, we're walking around and I, I still remember this because I'm walking and go like, man, did it rain last night? Right. And uh, and and I keep walking and my boots are submerged in water and I can go like, did it rain last night? And it's just this keeps going through my head. Did it rain last night? Did it rain last night? And then I just realized I'm walking in a pool of blood. Mm. The entire street was a pool of blood. Jeez. And uh, when I realized that, I go like, where all this blood is coming from? Mm. That, that the, That's the first question. And when I get closer to where the BBID happened, and I look up, and I see people helping, right, clear everything, there's there's a lady in the second floor helping clear stuff, and she grabs a piece of hand from somebody and drops it down. Like, there's pieces of people in second in the walls in second floors wow uh they it just i mean it was crazy there was 180 something dead wow total like 300 uh people injured um women children um mm. uh, and uh so i remember that yeah and uh but that's not the part that really got me mm. Uh, at one point, we're standing over there. Everybody's there, of course. You know, the Hilaswad, the poli- the regular police, the military. Everybody's there. So at this point, it becomes, it becomes like a media frenzy, right? There, there was like the news were over there. So we're like, all right, let's stay away from the news. Uh, let's back up. So we backed up, moved to our vehicles, and I'm still pulling security because we don't know who's still around, right? Right. So right. we're pulling security, wearing high alert, and um. We tell one of the colonels, Colonel Bass, we go like, hey, Colonel, it's like, what do you need from us? Because right now we're not doing anything here. It looks like you got a lot of help. People are helping clean up and pick up pieces of people. Mm. What do you need from us? And he said, you have your doctors with you. So we happen to have right there with us the Salvadoran uh, doctor and, of course, I-18 Deltas. Right. And and we were like, yes, they're actually right here with us. And he said, can you go to the hospital and help? And we're like, very great idea. Mm-hmm. We're, we can be more useful over there than here, right? Right. So very great idea, Colonel. That's where we're heading right now. So we get in the vehicles. We're like, listen, guys, we're going to the hospital. Got it. So we go to the hospital. 
And that's the part that still haunts me to today, bro. Mm. As we're driving in the hospital, it's a little like like a little circle. You know how old buildings in Iraq are? They got a big bon- monument in the middle, and you got to go around that mon- monument anywhere you go. Yeah. So we're going to the hospital. They got a little monument in the middle. And as we're going around, there's a pile right in front of one of the doors. And I'm trying to figure out, I'm like, what is that? Is that a bunch of sandbags? And as we get closer, it was a pile of people Jeez. dead wow. from the same BBID. Wow. That were dead. And we're like, what the heck? And then all of a sudden, two people walk outside with must have been like three or four years old kids, about three or four of them, and dumping in the pile. Wow. And when I saw that, it hit me. Because mm. I had a kid myself, right? Yeah. So I see that and I go like, what kind of person do that to their own people and when i redirected my look back at the pile most of them were kids just messed me up but i'm trying to keep my cool right i gotta because uh, uh, the the captain was a uh, mo- have moved already to the base to try to report back what's going on so i'm in command right now of, of the whole team over there so trying to keep my cool we're like okay medics let's go Let's find where the ER room is, where they're treat, treating all these people. We'll go over there and Salvadorans and everybody else. We're just going to pull security, keep these guys safe. So got it. So we went up. Our medics started doing an amazing job working on everybody that they could. Um, stabilizing people. Unfortunately, we lost a lot of them. I mean, they were way past the point of any help. Yeah. Um, and uh, when some point, we're over there for probably 15, 20 minutes. And the medics are doing their shit. They're doing their work. And we're all so proud of the medics doing what they're doing. And then all of a sudden, we got over the radio that there's a possible ID at the hospital as a secondary. So, of course, at that point, we got to evacuate, right? So, he comes over the radio. I tell the guys, like, everybody get the fuck out right now. So, we start moving out. We tell everybody in the hospital, like, everybody needs to get out. Possible bomb. Uh... So as, as we're coming out, we have to come out in that one door where they were throwing all the kids. And uh, as I'm driving, as I'm walking by, I didn't want to look, but I had to. Yeah. And when I look and I saw the kids again, that smell of that burning dead flesh mm-hmm. got right in my nose. And bro, I, to this day, I cannot get rid of that smell. Mm. That, that smell hits me once in a while, probably once a day, and uh, and it haunts me, man. I can't get rid of that smell. Mm. Doesn't matter if I'm chewing gum, if I'm drinking whiskey, uh, if I put, you know, Vicks in my nose. Right. Know, Vicks is the number one healing uh, uh, ointment of, of Puerto all, Ricans. Of all, <laughs> of all Latin Americans. <laughs> <laughs> They're using it in San Antonio on white people, too. <laughs> right, right. That's why he's going to fix it. COVID, put it up your nose. Put it up your it. nose, it'll fix it. But, man, it haunts me when I smell that. I, I Sometimes I'm driving, and it just, the smell hits my nose. It's like it's there right now. It just happened. And I can't get rid of it. Wow. I just can't, man. It haunts me to this day. It's something that I cannot get rid of, and I will probably go to my grave smelling that every day. Wow. It's very interesting how the brain functions um you know especially in a scenario like that obviously trauma is everybody has traumas but 
to see a trauma, to partake in a trauma, to smell that trauma in close proximity and you having a kid knowing what that's like to have a child and then imagining what kind of thought process goes through people's minds when they're willing to kill their own and to see that sight i mean it's burned into your brain isn't it yeah how can you leave that behind i can't would you be i mean would you be a would you be as effective of a fighter as you were as a green beret as caring for your country if you did forget that I think it's important that you, you know, so many times we try to run from trauma nowadays, I think, right? Like run from that. Uh, we need to fix that. But isn't that something that you should have from an experience like that? No, you're, you're completely correct. Uh, <clears throat> that's why you don't hear me saying, I wish I can get right, rid of absolutely, that. Right, absolutely, yeah. Um, it's, and it's, I never heard that. I'm just saying yeah, it, that it, trauma is marked for a reason. I think those traumas help you. They make you better. Yeah. They make you understand what you're fighting for. They make you understand how people think. They make make you understand the cruelty of human nature. Yeah. And um and it just reminds you of how much you got to appreciate where you live. Right? That oh, yeah. that's one of the things I told my son all the time. He's like, "Listen, I've been deployed to every single country in South America except for two. I have only, not only been in two of them." Every other single country, you know how many kids I saw living in the streets that I have to buy them chicken or burgers or stuff like that? It's like living in the cardboard boxes. It's like, I'm like, and here you are complaining because you couldn't get your new PlayStation game. <laughs> you know? It's like those kids, those kids got bigger issues. They, they got to try to figure out what to eat next. Right. If they can find something to eat. If they can't even find that. Right? Yeah. So, so it makes you appreciate what you have, what you had as a child as well. Uh, some of those experiences made me not complain about other stuff. Right, right. You know, like, like uh, I went to the hospital last year for a gallbladder surgery, ended up spending a month in the hospital, chest tubes, all kind of stuff. Everything went wrong. Yeah. And the doctor kept telling me, he's like, you are probably one of our patients that complained the last time. I'm like, doc, yeah, if I see you walking in here in the room to tell me what went wrong, at least I'm still alive. Right. It's like when I don't see you anymore, I know I'm dead. Yeah, yeah. Like, as long as you can continue to work on fixing that shit, we're good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So so my mentality, the way I think about life completely changed, mm. which is in, in a good way. Yeah, yeah. In a good way. And it's interesting how it can um, affect people differently too because mm -hmm. there are guys that have seen things like that overseas where you know they're dead within six months. Yeah. They come back home, they sit on the couch, it's all they think about. They get obsessed with and fixated on those thoughts. And that becomes their future in a sense. Um, I, I find that devastating, obviously, but fascinating in the way that people can handle that situation differently. And it really is about how you take that situation going forward, right? Yep. And you were able to move past that. And not only that, but into m more deployments. Yeah. That's amazing. That's what that's what I tell people when I hear people on different podcasts or or maybe on their Instagram saying, "Man, the fuck up! All you need is exercise, and you'll be fine." And I'm like, I'm like, you know what? I do agree, right? You need exercise. Yeah. You need healthy living. You need all this and that. But man, everybody's different. The same experience will affect people differently. Uh, for example. I was talking to Bruno, the same guy that saved my life, right? He he was there with me at the hospital. Yeah. 
Mm. And uh, I was talking to him back in uh, November. Uh, and I was I was in the car with him. Oh, no, actually, I'm sorry. It was Juan Martillo, another one of the guys that were over there with me. He's at CW4 now. Okay. Uh, I was talking to him, and I, I was telling him, hey, hey Juan, th- this happens to me. It's one of the first person I told him what I'm smelling. It just happened in November. It's the first time. Yeah. Right? So I go like, I smell this, and he told me, Chief, same happens to me. And I'm like, oh, shit, I thought I was alone. And he said, no, same thing happens to me. Wow. And I'm like, I'm like, how do you feel when you smell it? He said, I feel alive. Mm. And I was like, okay. So you see, every, everybody feels differently. Because uh, Bruno was there too. And the last time I talked to Bruno and he mentioned the same incident, that incident right there at the hospital is not what haunts him. It's the blood that we were walking on. So mm. you see, everybody everybody thinks differently and takes the same situation in a different way. So I cannot judge people for coming back. And, you know, I don't know what's going through their mind. Yeah. I don't know what drove them to the decision of wanting to cash out, right? Right. Now, do I think, do I tell my friends when they think about that? It's like, you've been selfish. I tell them that. You've been selfish. You're just thinking about yourself. You're going to hurt more people that you're going to help. You're helping just yourself if you cash out, right? Right. Uh, but can I judge them? No. No, yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't know what's going through their head. I don't know if they're even disconnected from reality. Mm. I, I don't know that. Yeah. Uh, so, but it's sad to see that some people will take those situations and not, not taking them and handle them in a positive way. It just go all negative because they think only about the bad, right? That's all they think. They think only about the bad things that happen. Yeah. I try to focus, yes, something bad happened, but what good came out of that? Mm. Right. What good came out of that? Yeah. Um, some people say, well, nothing good comes out of 187 people dead. Yeah. And it's true. Yeah. But um, the what we learned from that BVID actually brought us to the biggest ID making sale that was ordering Gila, and we got them. Really? Without that BVID, we would have never be able to get them. Wow. So, I mean, think about it. Bad shit happened, but what positive came out of it? Yeah, with this man an entire BBID cell. Yeah, you, you know what a I'm saying. Huge positive. Yeah. So, so that's the way I try to look at life. That's the way I try to look at my trauma, if you want to call it a trauma. Yeah, yeah. I think they're they're not trauma. They're just uh, learning experiences. Yeah. Some are good, some are bad. Right. But that's life. Mm, yeah. Well said. So after that second tour, you get back and you you know you're home for how much longer? Uh, I was home for a few months. Then I went to, uh, I deployed to Chile. Okay. Uh, we were doing a, a competition called Forces Commando. Uh, okay. Yeah. Like kind of like the Counterterrorism Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I went there. Then I went to Colombia. Mm. I went in the mission. I love to, Colombia. Well, we were over there in the mission trying to rescue the American hostages down there. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we were, I was part of that mission and we just did a bunch of stuff after that. So, yeah, I, I would love to hear about your time in Colombia because obviously uh, there's an interesting dynamic down there, especially with 7th Group, uh, all the stuff that you guys are doing down there. A lot of humanitarian missions, obviously, but you've got some different mission sets down there. And there was a particular mission that you were on that was very interesting. So if you could talk a little bit about that, that'd be awesome. Yeah, so 
just to recap what you said, we had a lot of different missions in Colombia, you know, training, advising, uh, and they're all awesome. I've been in multiple of those, and let me tell you, Colombians are so much fun to work with. Yeah. Uh, they just, they just want to work. They, I love those people. Bro. Man, they want to train. They, they want to train. And they love their badges, man. Mm -hmm. If you tell them, I'm going to give you a certificate and a badge after you get done with this, who do we got to kill? <laughs> You're going to tell me I'm going to have one more yeah. badge on my uniform. <laughs> now, I was not there in a military capacity there. I was actually there with uh, a, a Prison Fellowship International. We were working missions down there. Oh, okay, cool. But I was photographing the kids, the children of prisoners who had you know gone through it. And some of these kids had walked... 10, 15 miles over like three or four days to get to us so that they could be at the lunch where we would tell them about their dad and how he was doing in prison. So emotional. I, I mean, I can't even talk to you. We've seen these little girls and boys like light up, like the love that they had in their eyes and how much they wanted to hang on you and hug you. I mean, dude, life changing uh, people. Some of the best food I've ever had. Oh, the people yes. were just beautiful bro yeah i love that place oh yeah i love it man. yeah but there's so many complications though there are obviously FARC and <clears throat> different terrorist organizations that had you know kind of come up under um now i'm forgetting his name the famous one oh uh, uribe no. oh no you're talking about pablo escobar yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i can't believe i put uribe with pablo escobar i was like whoa oh well <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that time, though, that that time really complicated things in the country. And obviously, there's been a history of violence, but you experienced some of this and what was going on. Yeah. So uh, 2005, I went to Colombia as part of uh, one of the missions because I don't going to mention the operation because I don't know if that's been declassified yet, the name. Right. So I, I'll, I won't mention it, but it was one of the missions to go and rescue the uh, American hostages that were in Colombia. So in 2003, some uh, contractors that were doing just spraying, you know, the crops and all that, the right. coca fields and all that, they had a malfunction in their aircraft and they crashed. Uh, they were taken captured by the FARC, okay. which is a Fuerzas Armadas Revolucionarias mm. de Colombia. Bring it. <laughs> <laughs> Roll those hours, baby. I love it. <laughs> so so uh, they got taken hostage by the FARC, and uh, they once they got taken, man, it was game on. They mm -hmm. they kept getting moved from, from FARC camp to FARC camp to FARC camp. They never stayed in one place for too long, you know. So they had a rough life in the jungle. They were there for years. I, I, for, wow. I, I forgot exactly which year, year they got uh, rescued, but I want to say it was around... 2007 2008 Jeez. so they, they, they were in captivity for a while but uh <clears throat> anyways i am um i was sent over there in what is called the ssc the uh, site sensitive exploitation team so our job was to go into targets where the colombians have already secured and uh, mm. <laughs> and, uh, and then we go in and we collect evidence. Air try quotes, to, air quotes. <laughs> yes, and we collect evidence trying to make sure that, you know, any DNA, anything that we can find that will say these Americans were here, that's another proof of life that they're, you know, they're still alive. So we were over there doing that mission and it was that, that was super inter interesting, man. So we had a big issue at that point with... And I understand why, right? The Colombians were like, okay, Americans, you're here. Got it. You want to you wanna go on trying to find these Americans. Got it. But we also have Ingrid Betancourt, which was a candidate for presidency, which is hostage with those Americans. Mm. 
And they also have some diplomats that were taken hostage by the FARC as well. So they're like, Jeez. we got to find a bunch of people, not just Americans. You're right? dealing with a lot of his hostage situations. Yeah. So they go like, okay, got it. No problem. Uh, so, but my main priority, and this coming straight from one of the colonels from the Colombian military, my main priority is the ground assault. I need to be able to assault and secure the site for you guys to come in. The problem is, in order for you guys to come in, I got to give you one of my helicopters that I can use for the assault. Mm. And I go like, shit. Well, you're right. So we were having that issue, right? Up to the point that I got there. Now, I don't want to say I'm a badass, but I'm a badass. No, 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 no. no, I, no. You heard it first from JP Cervantes. So, so, he no, is a badass. I, so, so at that point, at that point, one of our, uh, they said, hey, listen, we need to send somebody to Colombia who is a Spanish speaker. We need an officer to run the team, right? Because the team that was going didn't have a warrant officer or a captain. Mm -hmm. They were like, so we need an officer that is Spanish speaker and that can build report quickly. And luckily, the captain that was the XO in the company at the time was actually the captain with me in Iraq just wow. just a few months prior. So he said, hey, if anybody can be a reporter, it's JP. Send him. They're like, but but he's a young one. He's still a W1. Trust me, send him. So anyways, I ended up taking command. So they go like, hey, you're going to be attached to this team because I was in 793, 791. That team was the one going. They're like, you're going to be their commander for this mission. Mm. And I was like, oh, snap. That's a like a, a big freaking <laughs> a like, big group. I signed up to be an assistant detachment commander. Yeah. That's what I signed up for. I didn't sign up to be a detachment commander. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Like, that's, uh, I don't know. That's more than I wanted. Yeah. But you know what? But I tell people that's what you sign up for, but you got to be ready to step up at any moment. So I had to. By my own by my own words, I had to take it, right? Mm -hmm. I'm like, got it, I'm going. So I went there, believe it or not, this is not a joke. We got there the same week we got there, we were on the ground for the first time collecting evidence. Oh wow. Yeah. So what ended up happening is the 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 local commander decided it's like, listen, no, we're not doing this again. We had teams from you guys before, and we love you, Seventh Group guys. We love you, Green Berets, but I need my helicopters for my assault force. So what I did is I go like, got it. Trust me, guys. I understand. All I'm asking is for my team to be in the planning. You guys forward deploy to where you're going because we had uh, a lot of intel that the Americans were in this area, right? So, like, you guys going forward, deploy, do all that. Once you're settled, if if you have an airplane or a helicopter to come and pick us up, we'll move forward with you. So, the general, their general, sent a DC-3 to come and pick us up. Oh, boy. <laughs> Believe it or not, that DC-3 DC landed. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm over there, and they're like, hey, what's going on? They're like, hey, uh, jefe, are you... Mi comandante Cervantes. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, uh, I'm like, uh, si yo, yeah, that's me. They're like, okay, this is your plane. So I'm, as I'm, as I tell the team, and we only had like, uh, what was it, a name and team. I'm like, hey guys, let's load the plane. We're going in with just our backpacks, and we don't have a lot of shit. Uh, we're loading the plane, and I noticed that there was a pilot outside. Somebody came and talked to the crew chief, and the crew chief said no. And they came back, and the guy sat, all sat, sitting on top of the pallet. 
And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. So I'm moving there, and my guys are loading the plane, this and that, and I look at the uh, the guy, and I go like, hey, uh, he was a captain. I'm like, mi capitán. And like, hey, what's, what's going on with that? With that? Is that going to get in? We got to go. He goes like, no, the general said, this is your plane. <laughs> he said, this is JP's plane. Your plane. plane. Comandante Cervantes. Comandante. <laughs> this is your plane, so nothing gets on this plane Dude. but you and your team. Wow. And I go like, but what is that? And he tells me, well, that's ammunition and rations that are needed in that same operation that we're going, right? Beautiful. And I look at him and I said, then put him in the plane. No. The general said, this is your plane. <laughs> and I go like, well, if this is my plane, I want that in the plane. Uh-huh. And he just looked at me. He's like, well, if it's your order, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So, the, you know, they put the pilot in the plane. It was actually two pilots. They put him in. And we start flying over there. We landed on the ground. And when they start unloading the pilots, the other guys over there go like, did the pilots come? And I'm like, yeah, they're like, but we were told we weren't getting our pallets. And I'm like, bro, I'm bringing your shit. Yeah. And they're like, we love you, Americans. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, it's your plane. I'm just borrowing. Of course I'm going to bring your shit, right? <laughs> I'm going to be like, I'm the ugly American. I'm taking your plane and not bringing your supplies. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So so I'm like, anyways, we, we landed over there. And the, the general was already happy because even that he didn't care himself, because he's going to have food anyways, right? He didn't care if he got those ammunitions and the, just what I did for his guys was enough for him to say, that's pretty cool. That's right? cool. That's really cool. He goes like, that's a Green Beret winning the hearts and minds. Mm-hmm. Right? Hearts and minds, man. Comandante Cervantes. Cervantes. <laughs> <laughs> dude, dude, that's incredible, dude, man. It was funny the way yeah. he said it, too. He's yeah. like, Comandante Cervantes. <laughs> you really uh, rolled. I was like, "Oh snap, bro!" Dang. I I feel like I'm in a book or something. <laughs> you're making you're making me feel like a king. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, we get there, and I tell the the general, "It's like, listen, all I want to do is be involved in the plan. I know you got no space for us in the airplane. Got it. In the helicopters, got it. No problem. Mm. So they made a mistake and get me involved in the planning. Oh boy. So when they do that. They 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 finish the planning process. They're about to brief. People from the embassy showed up. Our general showed up. Oh wow! And they're sitting over there, and they give the planning. They say how they want to work everything, this and that. Nowhere in the planning is how they're gonna get my team on the ground to collect SSC, right? So I go like, okay, perfect. I gotta be quiet. This their briefing, not mine, right? It's the Colombians' briefing, not my briefing. I'm just sitting here as a courtesy. Uh, which is the right thing to do. But at one point, the Colombian general looks at me and he said, Comandante, what do you think? And I go like, oh, snap. The moment I've been waiting for, but at the same time, I'm scared. I'm scared not because I'm talking to a general. I'm used to that. I'm scared because I don't want to make, I don't want to make the guys that are briefing look bad, mm. right? It's their country, not mine. Right. So I'm like, how do I do this? So uh, I figured out real quick. I stood up and I'm like, man, your plan is freaking the shit. (laughs) 
right? And blah, blah, blah. And I like how you did this, how you did that, how you did that. However, my only recommendation, if I was going to do this, and I forgot exactly how the plan was going, but I told him to do something switching, switching the way they were going to do the, the, the initial, uh, uh, the initial assault and the, follow up and the ground assault i changed something i forgot exactly what it was that left one helicopter open mm. right so when i did that they're like oh shit man that's a great idea it saves fuel it saves time we put more guys on the ground faster and even the guy that was briefing is like thank you so much for that advice the general was so happy and then the general looked at me like hey mi comandante I'm like, yes, mi general. He goes like, oh, shit. You want to take that helicopter that is extra? I'm like, oh, I thought you never asked. Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. And our general, General Cleveland, he looked at me. He's like, you slime, you little whistle. I don't know how you pulled that one, but you little whistle. You he just, knew. You just got yourself a helicopter. He knew, bro. Oh, my God. He was amazing, man. Anyways, bro. Another, another mission that is an SF. I don't know if I can say this in your podcast. Hard on. You can say it, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, bro. We were over there with the Colombians. They're about to do a ground assault. We got helicopters that landed. We got now in Colombia. In order for everything to be legal, you got to have uh, your district attorneys kind of like with you, right? Right. So they can say yes, press charges against that. Press charges, whatever. And it was so cool watching these girls. They were mostly females. We had three of them. No, we have four of them. Three were females, one male. And the females were over there with their little <laughs> freaking body armor, helmet, lipstick, and freaking eyelashes done. They're like, we're going to go into the target looking sexy as hell. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and it's funny because at, at one point, at one point, uh, we were told that we didn't have a green light to get in the helicopters yet, right? From the US side. Okay. We have helicopters landing. Chucks are starting to move to the helicopters. Like people are starting to board. Yeah. And we're sitting here going like, uh, so we took a picture. It was actually a team sergeant, uh, Tim Burke, took a picture of the DA girls, the district attorney <laughs> girls, took a picture and sent it back to her. He's like, yeah, well, this is too dangerous for Green Berets. Here they are looking hot as hell with lipstick and freaking, uh, what he said, and glitter all over their face. He's <laughs> like, but it's too dangerous for Green Berets. <laughs> and all of a sudden they're like, you got a green light. <laughs> and I go like, Tim, what did you do? He's like, I, I mean, bro, think about it. I know it's politics, but these girls are about to go in that mission. It's too dangerous for Green Berets, <laughs> right? It's like, yeah. it's like, come on, man. Yeah, so dude. anyways, we get in the helicopter. We, we, we're going to the target. We're receiving fire on the way to the targets. We are literally at this point, we are in a El Plateado, okay. right? And so we're flying to El Plateado, which is FARC control land, mm. to the point there hasn't been any military or police in that town for uh, almost 30 years. They straight up don't go in. They just don't go in. Wow. The entire jungle around it is controlled by the FARC. And here we are, doo -doo 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 -doo, flying over there. <laughs> jungle left, jungle right. Here we are, buddy. We're going to rescue somebody, hopefully. So the helicopters, some of the helicopters are receiving fire, this and that. Anyways, we land and as now 
Of course. You're, but you're, listen, oh you're, you're, you're Comandante Cervantes, and you're about to have your Apocalypse Now moment, okay? <laughs> bro. Surf, you got sur- no, surfing, bro. <laughs> you got no idea how excited I was. But this is a big deal, right? This is the first time that any ODA is going to get on the ground doing this particular mission. That's amazing. This is the sec that was on the phone with our freaking AOB in Colombia monitoring the situation. Wow. This, this was not just any mission, right? It's big. So we couldn't actually land until we were told that we could land by our hire, right? Wow. So we're flying, we're going in there, and what, what the Colombians were really smart, they knew we wanted to land with them. So what they did is they sent a few choppers ahead. They did the first landing in the in the in a big football field, but as they're landing, communications intercept came in. We are landing, believe it or not, in an area command FARC meeting. They just happened to have an area FARC meeting of all the leadership that day. Wow. We had no idea that was going on. By the way, we wow. didn't plan that. Yeah. And they had no idea we were coming. So, and all of a sudden, you see vehicles freaking taking off, this and that, and you hear over the radio, do not shoot at them. It's too many of them. Mm. Right? So helicopters start landing, and immediately after they land, the first thing that the Colombians said is like, we're clear. We secured the area. Well, they were smart because what they didn't tell me is that they'd secure the landing mm. zone, not the town. No, no, no. Secure the landing zone. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, are you sure? And they go like, yes, we secure. It, it's secured. So we relay back to our hires like, hey, secure, can we land? They're like, oh, I don't know. Can you double check? Hey, are we good? Americans were good. Just mm. go ahead and land. And then I go like, okay, we're good. They go like, okay, you got permission to land. So we're about to land, and all of a sudden I notice, I'm like, fuck. I'm looking around me, and some of the helicopters run, landing right next to me are some of the assault assault helicopters too. Mm. I'm like, hold on. If the assault's still in the air, who secured the town? <laughs> <laughs> the assault teams are behind you. At so. <laughs> this point, it's too late. Yeah, we yeah. are on the ground. We get out, and the helicopter takes off. There's no way we can get in that bad boy again because oh, they had to go in their flight pattern at that point. And uh, so we get out, bro. And this is Apocalypse Now type of stuff. We're walking around this FARC town. Mm. Everybody's giving us the bad eye. Mm. Everybody's trying to figure out who we are. Because we were wearing wearing the same uniforms that the Hunglas, which is their their police uh, badass fucking hostage rescue forces. We were in the same uniform as theirs. The difference is we have U.S. flags Uh, on ours. And then we had the U.S you know, body armors and helmets and right. all that. So you could easily identify us as combatants and Americans, right? So, but people from far away couldn't tell. And they're like, who the hell are those guys? We have people taking pictures. And of course, immediately, the every time we saw somebody taking a picture, we, we look at one of the, uh, you know, AG ladies, one of the uh, district attorney ladies, and we're like, hey, that guy just took a picture. And she's like, you, you, you will go over there, confiscate now. And they go over there and take their cameras and all that shit. It was, <laughs> it was hilarious. But, bro, you could tell in the air 
they were trying to figure out what point they were going to take us out. You could tell. Mm, yeah. You could tell, but but we had we had too many people on the ground. Yeah. And so at one point they started trying to distract us sending girls with mini skirts down the road. <laughs> Bro, I'm not kidding. I'm They're standing playing. in one of the on one of the houses cuz I'm talking to an old lady and I'm like, "Listen, have you seen these people, you know, and showing her the Americans this and that and she's trying, ah, "I don't know. I think I did. I'm not sure." Uh so, you know, cuz we're trying to get have they been here? And uh, and all of a sudden, I look around, and the entire street where we were at, all of a sudden got empty. Mm. Whoa. And I get on the radio, and I go like, hey, guys. And uh, the team sergeant goes like, I got it, chief. I'm already on it. Something, everybody, keep your, guys, uh, keep your eyes out. Something is going to happen. And then... All of a sudden, this girl started walking down with miniskirts, just looking at us, smiling. I'm like, hey, guys, yeah, don't get freaking distracted. <laughs> <laughs> I go like, they're doing that on purpose. They sent weapon number one to us, guys. <laughs> weapon, they, they, they broke out their freaking nuclear bomb. <laughs> do not look that way. Yeah, do not look that oh, way. Oh, no, but they they try hard. Those girls try hard. They One of them came up to me like, oh, la senora. I'm like, hey, do you know this? is like, hey, uh. What are you doing here? Like, have you seen any of these guys? And she goes like, well, where are you from? I'm like, where are you from? And she's like, but I asked you a question, me too. Yeah. And she's like, huh, you're not very nice. And I'm like, you're not very nice either. <laughs> 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 and she just, she just kind of like, okay, I'll go for one of the white guys. You'll yeah, probably, yeah, you'll yeah. probably like me more. This guy is brown. He's seen pretty brown girls before. Yeah, yeah. I'll go to the white guy and kryptonite for him. So so no, that's exactly what they did. Yeah. They went to one of the uh, uh, my teammates. Yeah. And they're like, hola, gringo. <laughs> I, I, and I could hear him over the radio. They're fucking trying hard, chief. They're trying hard. I'm like, I just leave it alone. But anyways, it, it was it was crazy. And uh, they were uh, trying to find actionable yeah, intelligence. We we got little kids coming to us, and wow. we're giving them food, and they're telling us how their father is a FARC member, and all the guns are in his house in the basement. He can tell us exactly where they're at. Oh my god! Wow. Oh, we're like little kid. You're gonna get killed when we leave. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like they're 100 percent executing you, bro. Like you need to be quiet. Like we'll some of the information I didn't even want. Yeah. I like no. Remember, kid, we're leaving. You're staying. You yeah. get out, get away from us. I yeah. don't want people seeing you talking to us because it's gonna hurt you, right? Yeah. We received sniper fire mm. from the other side of the mountain where we were there. Uh, the Colombians went over there, saw that it was hilarious. It was amazing. I went over there with one of my other guys, and uh, this Colombian is laying there. He's like, "Mi comandante," they keep shooting, but I can't tell from where. And all you could see on the other side is pure triple canopy jungle right right so f where is this coming from yeah, i don't know and finally i saw the flash mm. i'm like i'm like man he's a little bit too far right to yeah to even hit us but the colombian that i was with had a 50 call mm. and i look at him and i'm like all right i want you to focus on that he get you know his his spotter kept focusing you know driving him moving him to the spot that i was talking about and finally i go like when he shoots again just pay attention and he was like oh i saw the flash and i'm like shoot at the flash he's like i'll wait for the flash to come out again flash comes out again he sends around we never receive another shot yeah. so, so so whether he hit him or not yeah. cannot be confirmed or denied right. but all i'm saying at least he's him enough yeah to where the guy goes like oh no that was too close yeah. <laughs> i'm moving out but we never receive 
another round wow, our way. Wow. And I, and let me tell you, it was it was a really good experience. We collected a lot of evidence. We found out that Americans were there. They were just moved uh, the day prior. Um, not because we were coming. It's just they just stopped there momentarily. Right. Uh, and, uh, and things like that. And it was really interesting, man, because... It was the SF goal, right? Just right. one special forces ODA out there in the middle of nowhere working with the, you know, partner force forces. It's just us. That's cool. There was no air support. That's there cool. was no big satellites working with. It was just us. Mm, wow. That's just awesome. Us. That's awesome. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> loved it. So uh, that mission... Um, and then you stayed in for some years after. How, how many? So you did 17 years total. Yeah, almost 17. 16 yeah. and 10 months, 11 months. Why'd you get out at like 16? Why'd uh, you go to 20? Medical, medical. Oh, uh, medical. Yeah, medical okay. retirement. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. in 2005, after I got back from that deployment in Colombia, yeah. um, I was in a Humvee rollover accident okay. when I was in the in the CIF, uh, which is the commander, uh, combatant commander, uh, oh my God! Ooh, I can. What, oh, so you want me to sif? Yeah, counter extremist forces. There you go. Ooh, my 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 TBI. I'm not a green beret. In, in extremist force, <laughs> yeah, combatant right. commanders in extremist right. force, right? Right. right. So, uh, which later on changed name to something else, and now it changed name to something else, and right, right. probably in a month, another officer gets an award for you, changing it to something else. I don't even think it's the same tier anymore. I think they it's, changed tiers. It, is there a tier it is. Two and... It is, and it's not. Right. You know? Okay. Okay. Yeah. But uh, anyways, so so uh, we were getting ready to go to Iraq as as a company, mm -hmm. and uh, we're doing the final hit for the week. I mean, we're hitting targets all week, training, hitting target all weeks, all week, all week, all week, and we're about to do the last run of the day. My home V rolls over. I woke up in the hospital weeks later. Oh wow! Uh, I broke T four, five, and six cervical six and seven. Thirteen bones in my face. I got a full facial reconstruction. Um, you got wrecked, bro. Carotid artery was lacerated. I was bleeding out. So that oh was the first gosh. time that one of my medics used a uh, quick clot. Wow! Uh, saved my life. So yeah. I can vouch for quick clot. It works. Um, I hate when people trash quick clot nowadays. Oh man, it's great! It, it saved me. Yeah. So and they get they got rid of it though. Oh really? By the time I was over there, yeah. No they, shit. They, yeah, they said the powder would spread across too quickly, and guys would lose it in the wind, and then we go talk like guys would get toxic or something would happen in the bloodstream. Well, maybe was that's why I'm all messed up now <laughs> <laughs> in the brain. No, but we loved it, man. We loved having that stuff. Yeah. I don't know why they got rid of it. I got yeah. no idea. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I got that accident and um. That was November 10th, 2005. Uh, like every Green Beret, I didn't want to take bet for an answer, right? I, yeah. So there was multiple reasons. One, one, I love my job, right? Mm -hmm. I love what I did. Two, uh, I was a W-1. Uh, like right now, a medical retirement as a W-1 ain't going to be shit. Yeah. Right? I'm, I'm thinking about my family, the future, money, and all that. And like, I'm going to be shit. Luckily, my company gave me so much support, so much support. Mm. So by so November tenth, two thousand and five, by February two thousand and six, I'm already going back to work with a full TLS brace, a trach, and everything. They were sending people to my house to pick me up in a van every day, and bring me to work as long as I wanted. 
Wow. But that was my choice. They didn't want me to go to work. I want, I'm like, I need to do something. Man. So I showed up every day. I just sat there like a, like a mummy, like a zombie. And, uh, and I spent an hour or two, and I felt like it did something, right? Yeah. Now, at that point, they have moved me from um, the ODA that I was in, the, the assault force, to the RSTs, which later became like an advanced force operation detachment, like okay. Secret Squirrel. Gotcha. Uh, so they made me the commander of that. They're like, because you don't need to wear full kit and helmet. You're mm. deploying in civilian clothes and all this. So you can recover there better. So they gave me that team. Uh, so I was the commander, but I was really not commanding anything because I was there like for two hours, right? <laughs> yeah. So anyways, I was there and, and the guys were like, hey, chief, this is what we got coming up. We got this deployment. And I'm like, you guys got this deployment? And I'm at home drinking booze from a straw because I got a wire jaw, a trach, <laughs> freaking a TLS brace. I hate you guys right now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so... Months later, I start physical therapy and all that. And I want to say April time frame, May, I did physical therapy to the dot, though. I did all the exercise they told me to. But the difference was I noticed when I was going to physical therapy, there was a lot of people there that wanted to be there for a long time. Mm. So they didn't have to go back to work. Right. I was the opposite. I was there... Tell me what I need to do. I want to get it over with. I need to get back to work. Yeah. Right. So I got done with physical therapy so fast that even the therapist go like, I think I need to like get you here and start all over again. Like, oh, screw that. I got deployments to go to. Yeah. Yeah. June, I was deployed as an RST. We, wow. we went to Bolivia and did a, a security survey in an embassy in Bolivia. Wow. And I was still swollen. My face was, I got pictures on my Instagram. My face was still swollen. Uh, I was still with back pains. I, I, I don't even know if I could run or do anything, but I was there. Man. Right? I was there. And slowly, uh, I started, my team helped me. They're like, okay, Chief, we're going to do this type of exercise. We're going to get you back in shape. And I did. Slowly, I got, I got better. The problem was that I got better. I thought I got stronger. I thought that, right? Uh. I was running with the guys, going to the gym with the guys, doing CrossFit with the guys. Like, if you saw me, other than me complaining about my back pain, you will never think that I was in such a bad wreck, right? The problem was that about 2000... Now, we did a lot of deployments, a lot of missions, a lot of great stuff after that. The problem was that around 2008, I started feeling it. Mm, yeah, I started feeling my back just killing me more than normal. My headaches started to kick in, which I never had before. Mm. Uh, headaches, dizziness, which I didn't have before. And I'm like, where is this coming from? At that point, I go back to the soul force. So I go back to the soul force. I'm in a team, you know, and I'm doing stuff. And the guys love me. They're they're trying to like tell me, hey, chief, don't worry, we'll get you to where you need to be. We we got this. I'm like, no, dude, I don't want to be a burden for you. That that's not the idea. Right. They're like, no, you're a teammate. We're gonna get you there. Yeah. And they did, man. They they were freaking amazing. But the re when I realized it was time for me to hang it up in a team, was when uh I started forgetting stuff. Mm. And one of the guys came over one day and he told me, Hey Hefe, uh, did you forget to do this? I'm like, I did it. He's like, Are you sure? And I look, I'm like, fuck, I didn't. And that happened like twice. And, uh, and they knew, the team knew, 
I was on my shit. Anything that had to do with water officer work, paper, it was fucking done. It was done two weeks before it needed to be turning. Yeah. It was fucking done. Yeah. And I, they go like, okay, Jefe, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. This is not you. And one of the medics come over and he's like, after your accident, did you get a TBI assessment? I'm like, TBI, was that? Mm. And he's like, traumatic brain injury? He's like, my brain is fine. They told me after I got my accident, I'm like, I have no brain damage. They're like, no, that have nothing to do with brain damage. Did you get a TBI assessment? I'm like, no. They're like, you need to go and get one. And when I went and got one, oh my God. I learned that everything was wrong with me. <laughs> They're like, no, yeah, you, you're kind of fucked up. Like, how, how you were still functioning all those years. And let me tell you, my team, when I was the commander of that one specialized team, we became like very first team in our, in our area of work in entire freaking uh, SOCOM. Yeah. And I'm like, how do you guys do that? We don't know. How do you manage that? I don't know. But at one point, my brain just... Wow. Right, and I think that that happened because I never gave my body a chance to heal mm. completely. I thought I was healed, right, but I didn't, and I went right back to work. Then after that, man, I started paying the consequences. Oh, I started yeah. feeling the back pains. I started feeling the headaches, forgetting stuff, uh, light sensitivity. Uh, I had to wear shades inside. Uh, it was bad. Ooh. So I have to leave the team. I went to battalion and uh, I took over one of the shops over there. Then I ended up going to SWEC to the schoolhouse um, and revising FMs and manuals. Then later on, I went to be uh, in proponency. Basically, we were the ones that reviewed all the warrant officer packets coming through the Special Forces uh, Warrant Officer Proponency Office. Okay. Uh, so that's how I ended my career, not wanting to do it. And at one point, I was not going to do it. Uh, I was not happy. I tell you that I was not happy. I was not happy sitting in the desk. That's not me. And uh, it was the senior warrant, CW five, right there at proponency, who told me, JP, you got to take care of yourself. He said, "Let me tell you right now, you live today. Five years from now, people won't remember your name in group." He's like, "Well, you know who's gonna remember your name? Your family. Mm. They need you there." Yeah. And if you kill yourself, he goes like, I know you can stay in, but I know you, JP. The longer you stay in, you're going to continue to push it because you think you can still hang with the boys in the team. Right. And even though that mentally you can, physically you can't. Uh, he goes, like, I go like, look who's talking. Now, this is T.D. Doyle, a freaking legendary SF, SF guy, Warren, who was already out of the army retired when 9-11 happened, was brought in back from retirement. He still have your retirement ID card, right? He's brought, brought back from retirement and he's still working as a CW5. And I go like, TD, look who's talking. You were brought back from retirement. You got all kind of health issues, which is not my problem to say here, but all kind of health <laughs> issues, right? Yeah. Why you don't retire? And he looked at me and he said, if you take your medical retirement, I promise you I'll drop my retirement. Is that a deal? And I go like, okay. And you know what? He did. Mm, wow. When I accepted my medical retirement, because I was going to, I'm like, no, 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 I can do this. I can do this. And uh, when I finally go, like, I gave up. I'm like, all right, let's do this. What's the process? Let's get it started. 
he said, since you started your process, I'm going to start my retirement. Man, that's awesome. And he's like, I made you a promise. You two together. Yep. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, he said, I made you a promise. That's rad. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, you know, uh, like I said, it, it hit me hard when I first retired. Mm. Very hard. Yeah. I could not. I could not be at home and take the fact that I was not longer in uniform, that I was not longer a leader, right? That I was not longer that cool, badass guy that I thought I was. I realized that I was broken, that I had plenty of injuries, that I was not in the same uh, mental and uh, cognitive. I didn't have the same mental and cognitive av- abilities that I had before. Mm. And uh, it hit me hard. It's, it's hard shit to take, man. Yeah, yeah. I you can know? imagine. You're when going you... from 100 miles an hour to zero, man. Yeah, and, uh, and it took me a few years, a few years to realize, one, I needed the break. I needed the fact that when I woke up in the morning and everything was spinning, headaches and dizziness, I didn't have to put the uniform and force myself to go to work and make it worse throughout the day, sitting in a desk, looking at a computer, right? I could actually stay in my bed, and let it just go. Took me a f- one or two days, and all that went away, mm. right? And then it happened again next week, and I stayed in bed and went away. And it took me a few years for me to realize, oh, snap, no wonder I feel better now because I don't have to push through it. I can right. just relax, yeah. right? Yeah. So maybe I needed that. And then at that point, that's when I realized, I go like, you know what? I am still a leader. I'm still a badass. It's just... How do I apply it now with the constraints that I have? Mm. Was it was it hard living in the past for a little while? Uh, it was hard, man. Yeah. No, it, it was. I won't lie to you, man. It was. You tell, did you find yourself telling the same stories over and over again at some point? Yeah. 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 Honestly, yeah. <laughs> Dude, and it's so, sometimes like I see guys that, that, that were with me in a team. We were both the fives and one of those is still in. Right. You know, some of their command sergeant majors now in group. You know, one of them is the group command sergeant major. Wow. And uh, some other ones are in SOCOM as a sergeant major. Other ones are CW5, uh, CW4s now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I look at them and I go like, man, I could have been there with them. And, you know, fuck, I could still be there fighting the fight and all this and that. And then I go like, then I got to bring myself back and go like, if you would have stayed in, you would probably would have hurt yourself to the point that maybe you wouldn't be here right now. Yeah. Yeah. Man. So I just live my glory through my friends. Yeah. <laughs> I go, like, you know what? That's a bad dude. I know him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I do. It's like my body that he was an E6 in my team when I was brand new warrant. I mentored this guy. He Later on, when I was the commander of that specialized detachment, he came to my team. I mentored him there. I signed his warm, uh, one of the recommendation letters for his warrant packet. He just made CW4. Man. I retire as a CW3. Wow. I'm going to go to his uh, promotion ceremony next week. Ooh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Like, wow. And people go like, oh, he past you and like well first of all i got out yeah right <laughs> yeah. so so of course eventually somebody's gonna pass me that stay in yep. but not only that it's like who cares i'm it's proud nice. of the guy yeah i'm proud of all the guys that made sergeant major when i w- and we were a seven we were in the same seven list and they made sergeant major i'm proud of those guys yeah i went one i went a different route 
I'm proud of all the guys that made CW4 and about to make CW5 that That's we cool. were enlisted together. Yeah. I don't I don't hold anything back, man. It's like I'm proud of them. Yeah, I know. That's yeah. powerful. You want to see the continued success of your guys. Freak yeah. 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 So <clears throat> at what point did you find a new path? Did you know like hey, there's something I've got to find something else. Like I got to continue on. I got to take, you know, cuz what we often find with any of these projects, any one that we cover, uh, any veterans, especially who've operated at high capacity with you, is there's a lot of success that they find beyond. There's some guys that get stuck in that mode, man. They get stuck on the couch. They get, yeah, you, you got to let it go. Yeah, they lose that battle. Um, they lose the war at home. And But there are some that are just stuck in that rut where it's like five years later, man, you hear them telling the same story again and again and again. It's like, yo, bro, I know you don't want to be, not that there's anything wrong with this, but I know you don't want to be picking up trash and living off your medical disability. I know that you want to be doing something greater than this, but you're so stuck in that past mindset. What was the thing that finally got you to get past that? To be honest, it was my son. There was a, one day I was talking to my son and he said, Papi, you're my hero. And I just heard it, and I was like, oh, okay, I'm his hero. And after I hang on the phone that day, I go like, how am I going to be his hero when I'm here feeling sorry for myself? Mm. Wow. I'm like, if if I'm going to be his hero, I better step it up. Yeah. And he got me going. Mm. He got me going. Not only I started my own company, I started doing training uh, consulting, doing role-playing support for the military. So I felt like I was giving back. So that's one way I was feeling. It's like, man, I'm giving back. My knowledge is not going to disappear. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass that knowledge to somebody else. Right. Later on, uh, I took a contract doing doing a role-player support for the Marine MARSOC program. Uh, so I was uh, a G-Chief in Derna Bridge, which is the Robin Sage. Right, right. And I did that for five years. And let me tell you, that contract right there opened my eyes. Opened my eyes in the sense that I was like, I have so much more to give. I got so much information, so much so more knowledge that I can pass to these guys. It's like, and, oh man, and I embraced it. Uh, I was working over there and these guys, I mean, we were running, what, three, four classes a year. And, uh, you know, when the students at the end of your cycle were doing a barbecue, they come over to you and say, like, thank you so much. I learned so much from you and you enroll mentor me without breaking role, you know, and you taught me this. And then they start asking you, hey, when, when you threw this at us, did you do that for a reason? And I'm like, yes. What was the reason? And I tell them. Mm. Or when you threw this scenario or this situation at us, why did you do that? And like, because I actually experienced that. This what happened to me in that situation. And they're like, oh, wow. So what everything that you're throwing at us is like real life shit that you went through and you're trying to to train us because that most likely will happen to us too. I'm like, yes. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. And at that point I was like, okay, you know what? I got a purpose again. I, I feel like I'm doing something. And that just brought me back up. That's powerful. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Do you <clears throat> continuing on, you know, where you're at right now, talk about some of the stuff that you're doing. Obviously, you know, 
you're working in human trafficking. You're doing some incredible work um, in that space, and that's much needed. We need people in that space. We need people to talk about that because <laughs> it is such a vital fight. Yeah. Um, and it is something that I feel like gets swept under the rug a lot. Oh, it is. I don't know why. Uh, but can you speak a little bit on that and what you're doing now? Yeah, so one of the things I'm doing, I started through my company, we started doing human trafficking uh, recovery operations. <clears throat> so uh, all these operations have been conducted overseas, in case the FBI is listening. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> they're being conducted overseas and in conjunction with the local authorities, right? right. We don't operate in the States. Once again, the FBI is a pain in the ass to work with. Mm. Uh, so, but one thing that, like you said, a lot of people get swept under the rug and they don't understand what's going on. I think a lot of us think that if a situation is not directly affecting me, I don't need to pay attention to it. Yeah. But what a lot of people don't understand is that it is affecting you. You just don't see it. Mm. Right. Uh, human trafficking is all around us. Like, I can drive right now into Fayetteville and drive around for 10 minutes. I guarantee you there's human trafficking around the area where I drove at some point in those 10 minutes, right? Human trafficking is not what a lot of people think. They A lot of people think human trafficking and, and they go back to the always sex trafficking because that's the way it was used to be called all the time. Sex trafficking, it was only about sex. Mm -hmm. uh, human trafficking is more than that. You have labor. You have organ harvesting which one of our last rescue was about to be a victim of organ harvesting wow. uh and she got lucky mm. her friends not so much but she got lucky yeah. so human trafficking is everywhere you just got to be able to understand not only understand but uh see the signs of human trafficking so you can uh report it a lot of people see things and they go like that looks weird or that don't look right but they do not report it. They keep driving because they're not sure. What I tell everybody is like, if you got any doubts that what you're seeing could or might be human trafficking, make the call. Mm -hmm. The worst that can happen is law enforcement go over there, investigates, and it was nothing. Well, great. But if it was something, you save a life or two. Yeah. So when I see something wrong, I make the call. Yeah. And I even tell them, it's like, I might be wrong, but might as well check it out. Right? Yeah. Uh, the problem is that we don't do that enough. Mm. We see things all the time. I mean, look look at these days what people do. Somebody can be getting mugged or getting beat up to death in the street. And what people do? They rather pull out their phones, record it. Start filming so it. So they can become TikTok famous. Nobody actually gets involved in help. If they do that to someone who's right in front of them about to die, what do you think they will do with someone who they think that might be a victim of human trafficking. Mm. They will not do anything. So it takes the few of us that have the cojones, right, mm. to do it and either, one, intervene, if you got the skills to do it. If you don't, I recommend you not to, yeah. right? Because it is a dangerous world. It is a dangerous world. Or two, contact law enforcement, man. Yeah. Let them know there's task force around every state, every state dedicated to human trafficking. Mm. Because and and the danger in intervening too is like there is obviously a ton of money in that, so they've got some high grade people working to combat guys like you, right? That is correct. Yeah, you're dealing with some top notch, some top notch dudes, not in the moral sense, 
but some people that know what they're doing. In in uh, one of the cases that we work, because uh, you know we got to do a lot of intelligence and groundwork in order to find the person that we're looking for, right, and rescue them. Uh, in one of the cases that we work, we actually spotted a lot of counter surveillance. So these guys have actual people that are out there trying to find who is looking for them. Wow. They got counter surveillance out there. They're looking for you. So if you go out there trying to act like a hero, you know, this is not the movie Taken, right? (laughs) You don't going to go out there and go like, you know, I had this special set of skills that I acquired (laughs) (laughs) throughout my career. It sounds so much sexier when you say it. (laughs) I like your version more than Liam's. (laughs) The Latin. (laughs) I will will find you and I will kill you. (laughs) My name is Inigo Montoya. You kill my father. Yes. Prepare to die. <laughs> right? It's like, we needed some Princess Bride references here. Yeah, but but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like a lot of people think it's that way. It's like the movie Taken. I just go, going to go over there. Yeah, so a lot of people don't understand that these guys, one, they are organized. Two, they have money. There's a lot. There's million, uh, billions of dollars in this industry. And, and three, guess what? They got money to hire the, you know, the most lethal guys in the world. Some of the organizations that we have run into, some of the guys working for them are former special operations for their countries. Mm. They're not just any regular dudes from the street. Right. You know? So you want to go ahead and be a hero? Go ahead. Yeah, best (laughs) of luck. It might not work out for you. And even if it works out, they have the money to go and find you. Right. Ooh, yeah. You know? So I tell people, be careful what you do, you know, don't try to be a hero. You see something like right in front of you is happening right now and you think you got the skills to stop it. Please do. Because once that girl is gone or that person is gone, the chances of finding him again are slim to none. Mm. If you can stop it now, please do. But if you don't think you have the capability of or skills to do it, step back, make a phone call, gather all the information you got and report it. Right. Right? Yeah. At least that's the least you can do. Yeah. Uh, I get all the questions all the time. JP, how can I get involved in human trafficking? Because everybody wants to be a hero. Everybody wants to be a shooter, right? Until it's time to shoot. Right. So I tell people all the time, man, get educated about it. Learn about human trafficking, the science of human trafficking. Learn about that stuff, right? That's the best way you can get involved with human trafficking. And then find an organization near you, like, for example, here in Fable, we got the organization that I'm part of uh, as a board member is called North Star Ministries. Okay. We actually got a human trafficking conference coming in March 25th. Okay. Right? Uh, Methodist University. So, you know, tell people, go to those conferences, go to the seminars, learn about human trafficking. Education is the number one fight against human trafficking. Mm. Hmm. What what in particular made you want to get into this? Obviously, you had a lot of uh, work in intelligence and, you know, site expo- exploitation in all that you did as a Green Beret. I mean, you know, th- those guys are the perfect dudes for this fight. What made you in particular really want to do this? It was, it was by pure coincidence, or I wouldn't even call it coincidence. It was misunderstanding. <laughs> let's, let's call it that way some of the greatest things happen through misunderstanding I, I know so through my company right we do we have done a lot of hostage rescue 
and we done uh kidnapping for ransom you know uh recoveries and things like that mm -hmm. so the first time we got involved in human trafficking was because somebody thought that the situation was a hostage situation ah correct so we were contacted hey do you hostage rescue and i go like oh yeah of course we still do it it was a former general from colombia who contacted me okay. and i go like yeah we still do it in general yeah no problem what, what's going on i gotta put you in touch with the family so when they put me in touch with the family that same night where i'm talking to the family and they're giving me all the information and i slowly realize and i go like i start asking questions like what's the ransom request you know how many communications you got with the captors the, the, i mean a bunch of questionnaires that I started asking. Right. And to all of them, they're like, oh, none, 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 no idea, none, none. And we're like, so when is the last time you heard from uh, your daughter or the people who took her? He's like, well, we have never heard from them. And last time we heard from them was a year and a half ago when she disappeared. Oh, my God. And I go like, wow. Snap. Uh, this is not a kidnapping for ransom because there's no freaking ransom. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. There's something so, more nefarious going so on as, here. So as we we kept talking and kept talking and she kept, kept giving more information, I realized it was human trafficking. Mm. And I told her straight up, I listen, we human trafficking takes a lot of time. There's a lot of intelligence on the ground. There's a lot of groundwork that got to be done before even the rescue is done. I'm uh, like, we don't do this. Like what we do is kidnapping for ransoms and hostage rescue. Yeah. She goes like. Well, the general already told me you're gonna do this for me. Oh boy! I'm like, shit. Uh, so I I tried to scare her, which, but not to scare her in a bad way. I was being honest. Right. I told her, "It's like, ma'am, do you understand how expensive this is going to be? These operations cost minimum about two hundred fifty thousand dollars every month." We need to have people on the ground, safe houses, vehicles, pain sources, intelligence work, Jeez. electronic equipment. I mean, you name it. We need 250 is the minimum. And what she said, that's it? Oh. And I was like, oh, shit. Well, I, I didn't scare her with that one. Uh, <laughs> I was like, well, I got to send you a quote. Approve. Yeah. I was like, no, ma'am, you don't understand. I got to send you a quote because you might say approve. Not approve. Wow. They have money, let's say that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but so we went and did that first operation, and uh, it was very successful. Oh, wow. On scene before, the same day that the guys got on the ground, the same day they rescued her. Wow. That's and six awesome. other girls that were with her. Dude, that's amazing. Uh, wow. But that don't happen all the time. So right. don't, don't please, people listening, don't think that we get that lucky all the time. Yeah. Uh, uh. There's been other ones that have taken months to be able to find. Yeah. Uh, so, anyways, we were lucky with that one. Months later, another fucker comes comes in. So, so-and-so recommended you. They said that you can probably find my daughter. <laughs> like, oh, snap. <laughs> I'm uh, but, in it permanently. But you know what? The, the emotions and the satisfaction yeah. from that very first operation became a passion. Mm. It was like, so I was not there on the ground for the first one. I was in the second one, third one, and fourth one. But in the first one, I was not there. It was too quick. We need to put people on the ground like now. Right. Uh, but I did talk to the girl when she got on her, by the way, on her parents' G5. Baller. <laughs> yeah, when, she bought them. Yeah, They're not hurting When nobody. she got on her parents' G5, right, with, with the team, yeah. they, they were 
she was thanking them. It's like, thank you for putting this together. And the guy was like, well, we just executed. The one that put all this plan together was JP. She's like, well, can I talk to him? And I, so they called me on FaceTime with her. And uh, she thanked me. And she said, thank you for giving me the rest of my life back. And her face was so sad, but at the same time happy. Yeah. And you could see that she was being mistreated. It just made me cry. Wow. Yeah. And I, after I saw her face, when I got the next phone call to do a human trafficking recovery, I couldn't say no. Mm. I couldn't say no. You knew you had to do it. I had to do it. it. I knew you. at that point that that was something I had to do because nobody else will. That's powerful. It's like I tell the guys all the time when they when they talk about, hey, listen, uh, how long that girl's been in human trafficking? This and that? Well, we can get it tomorrow. My answer is this, because this is the problem. A lot of these girls get moved all the time, right? So they're not in the same place for long periods of time. I mean, there's exceptions and there's places where they keep them forever. But some of the ones that we have found, they move them frequently. So you either miss your chance of getting her if you don't react today when you find out where she's at. Or, like I tell the guys, if we don't get her tonight, somebody else will. Right. And not in the same way that we will get her. Mm. Every day she's there. Every day she's getting raped. So Jeez. no, it's not happening. Jeez. Once we find out where they are, we will get them that same day. Period. Yeah. Wow. Another hour is another person that gets her. No. Yeah. So that's my passion now, man. I yeah. got somebody got to do something about it. We, you know, human trafficking is never going to end. And it's a sad truth. I know a lot of people don't want to hear this, but it's a sad truth. It's never going to end. Yeah. It's, the, it's one of the oldest freaking corporations in the world. Mm. It's human trafficking, right? It's never going to end because while people still make money out of it, it's going to continue to go. Right. But if we can save a life or two, I'm there. I will continue to, to do my best. Yeah. How, you know, what I'm curious, and you may not want to answer this question, but I'm very curious and I have to ask the question. How far do you think this goes up? Is this a massive issue? And, you know, do you think this goes into government and policy and all that? Do you think there are people out there that would shock us if we knew they were participating in something like this? Oh, yeah. yeah. Why do you think the, the uh, Maxwell records of all the client lists is sealed? Mm. Yeah. And it's not allowed to come out. Yeah. You know how many people, powerful people in the government are in that list? Uh, some of the ones that we found uh, in some of these other countries were high-level politicians in those countries. Wow. Uh, generals. Mm. Police chiefs. Mm. A lot of these people operate in towns where the police protects them. Yeah. So that's why I tell people, be careful who you make this report to. Because <laughs> yeah. you might be reporting to the same people that protect them. So Jeez, yeah. be careful. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and that includes the states, believe mm. it or not. In the states, there's there's not all of them. that We got a, 90% of the cops, I will say, they're freaking amazing. Yeah, You got some corrupt cops out there. Yeah, And yeah. They, they provide safe passage and protection for human traffickers. Yeah, Sometimes they don't have an option. Mm. You either... Provide this for me or I kill your family. So may, maybe that's the reason why they're doing it, wow. right? But it happens. Are you saying that can even happen in the States? Oh, yeah. It happens in the States. Mm. I know that for a fact. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Man. Do you, what is your, you know, 
what have you learned through this experience? I mean, how how much has this changed you? This experience of working in this particular industry and you know such a devastating, poisonous place, you know, f- for you. But your ability to bring some type of healing. What what have you learned from this? Man, to be honest, I'm I'm still trying to figure it out. Yeah, uh, I cannot figure out human traffickers, and I tell you why. The same guy that holds 12, 13 girls and he gives them to dudes all the time to get raped, sometimes 10, 15 times a day. They're the same guys that got families at home. Mm. They got little girls, little boys at home. And uh, I ran into this one dude doing one of the jobs and uh, as a retaliation from one of the family members that had money, they found out who he was. So they pay another human trafficking group to kidnap his daughter mm. and send him pictures of his daughter in human trafficking. Wow. He went crazy. Mm. And he started telling people that how can people do that to his little daughter? And I'm like, dude, you do that every day to other people's daughters Jeez. and now that happened to yours is bad now i'm not saying that that was the right answer right right i'm not saying that that, that that was the right thing to do yeah i'm not saying that yeah but i don't know what the state of mind is yeah. when you think that's it a is, lesson think about it from the other person's yeah, shoes what I, are you, dealing you with? know when it is okay for you to do it to these families but no 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 it's bad if it's done to you then yeah. they need to die yeah you know, it's like, what do you think that you're doing to all these other families? Yeah. And uh, what I realize is that these people don't see humans as humans. Mm. They see these girls as product. Yeah. They, they, and they tell you straight up, we don't get attachments. They don't even have names. They're products. Mm. I'm like, really? Ooh, that's a terrifying I, business. I, and it just changed me because I see the reality of how horrible humans can be. Yeah, Absolutely. For money. All, all for money. All for money. Yeah. Root of all, the love of it being the root of all evil. <laughs> that, that's why when we do, the, uh, you know, as a company, when we do these human trafficking jobs, we only charge for expenses. We don't make any profit on this. Mm, okay. We never do. Wow. Zero profit. Yeah. This is exactly what we spend on the ground, safe houses, vehicles. It's pure expenses. This is what we spend. Wow. That's incredible. I couldn't make money out of that. I couldn't. No. Yeah, I couldn't you wouldn't with feel myself. right about it. No, I wouldn't yeah. feel right about it. Okay. Wow. So, what else? What else do you have going on? Oh, uh, well, let me see. So, besides that. <laughs> besides that, which was uh, a very heavy subject, an important subject. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, besides that, uh, you know what? Before we go into something else, let me tell you this last story of the last girl, yeah, our yeah. team rescued from human trafficking, because a lot of people need to hear this, especially if you got... Teenage, teenage kids or you, even you as an adult that like to travel overseas and find cheap places to stay at. <laughs> you, you know, what do you call it? The, the couch surfers, right? Have you seen that? Have you heard about that website? Couch surfers app? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, used to, yeah. I used it back oh, in the day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, so the last person we rescued from human trafficking, she went on vacation, teenagers, 17 years old. Uh, they went on vacation. Overseas to this other country, and I'm going to mention the country to protect the people that help us there. Right. But uh, to this other country, they went on vacation and they stay in a uh, in a hostel. Mm. One, first, first mistake. 
Yeah. I always tell people, hostels, they're cheap. Yeah, they save you money. Yeah. But that's the first place where I target anyone, yeah. right? I've stayed in some hostels, bro. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little different for me, but yeah, I would not suggest them. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But it's a group of teenagers. Right. Uh, there were uh, there were six of them, and they were split between males and females. They were just hanging out, having a good time. Graduation, you know, let's just go for this week and have a good time in South America. Right. So they went over there. They were having a good time. They met this group of other not teenagers, they were like 22, 23 that they met at this bar. And they're hanging out with them and they're like, hey, they're, oh, you're American. Yeah, we're tourists too. Oh, great. Oh, oh great. And they're like, uh, so we've been here for a week already. How long are you guys going to be here? And they said, well, we're here for another four or five days. That's the group that we ended up rescuing one of the girls, right? We're here for another four or five days. We just got here a few days ago. And uh, this other group says, oh, we'll be here for a week. We're here for another week. We already know the good, the good spots. If you guys want, we'll meet you at this place tomorrow this time. So these other guys go like, oh, man, these other tourists are so freaking nice, yeah. right? We're going to go and hang out with them. Do not ever trust any other tourists anywhere you go. Stay with your group. But anyways, they showed up, and they were having a great time. They showed up in this club, and then they went from that club to another club. And in their eyes... There's nothing to doubt about this other group, right? We're right. having a good time. We're drinking. So far, they haven't done anything that raised suspicious, suspicions, right? So they showed up finally at this one club, and while they were there, that's the last thing they remember. Mm. They were at that club. Now, I'm telling you the story from only one person and one person only. The story that I'm telling you right now comes from one person because it's the only one that survived, okay? Wow. So she said she woke up. And she's in a room, and she's asking about her friends, where she's at. Weeks go by. Finally, she realized something is wrong, of course. I mean, I would have figured that out when I woke up in a room that I was not supposed to be at. Right, right. She finally figured out something is, something is not right. So there was a guy that was always going in the room and raping her mm. every day. And uh, he finally, I guess, he kind of liked her too much and started talking to her. That's when she figured out what really happened. Mm. They were drugged at the club. They were taken by the same group that took them to the club. They would lure them. They were basically the, the spotters, mm. right? They were put in vans and they were taken away. Well, at this point, what she haven't realized, she keeps asking about her friends. What she haven't realized yet is that she's the only one alive. Wow. The guy that was raping her was the guy in charge of that group. He ended up liking her so much. He goes like, this is the most gorgeous girl I have ever, ever seen. I want her for myself. Yeah. So that's the only reason why she was still alive. Wow. Or all of her friends, human organ harvesting. Oh, wow. Jeez. So all the guys were dead. They took all their organs. Jeez. Now, the weird part about this, it, it, they, they were dead within two weeks, all of them. Mm. The weird part about this is that you, I want you to think about this. Organs don't last a long time. Yeah. Right? It's not like I can get you right now, take your liver, put it in the freezer, and wait seven months until somebody shows up that needs a liver, right? Yeah. That don't work that way. They no. have a certain 
you know, time expect expectancy for that organ to live. Think about this. How many people had to be on the black market waiting list for them to be able to take organs from all those kids? Oh, my gosh. The extensiveness of that network. That network is huge. Yeah. Black market so much money organs yeah. are huge. Wow. She was the only one. So when we got her and we asked her about her friends, she said they're all dead. Wow. And they were dead within two weeks. Jeez. These were all Americans. No. No. No, okay. they, they yeah, thought yeah. they were Americans, but they were not Americans. Oh, okay, gotcha. Wow. Yeah. That's that's rough, man. Well, it doesn't matter where they come from, but that's terrible. Yeah, but think about this, man. It's like I tell people all the time, be careful when you travel. Don't trust too much. Like all these people that want to be your friends, you don't know them. They're not your friends. Yeah. You know, and, and think about this. They felt safe because they were traveling in a group. Mm -hmm. It was six of them. Yeah. They were all taken. Wow. Yeah, I, I had a couple friends who went to go uh, party in Madrid in Spain, and they were both guys, and they were at a club, and they were drinking, and then the you know they had a, like a few people kind of hanging out with them, kind of felt like they were swingers, like you know trying to get them, you know trying to reel them in. Yep. And he said it was kind of strange, but you know the girls. Two of the girls were good looking, and so they're like, ah, we'll hang out, you know, keep hanging out and stuff. And they started feeling, my buddies started, started feeling weird. These are both dudes, like mm -hmm. both capable, able oh, yeah, dudes, like 29, 30 years old. They don't old. care. They're used to that. And they started, like, trying to get them to come outside of the club, and my buddy was like, ah, no, I don't think so. Even as weird as he was feeling, he was like, they, I don't think they used high enough of whatever they used. It was enough for him to, like, tell the club, the bouncers, And the bouncers were like, yo, dude, I think you got roofied. Like, they sat him down and, like, wouldn't let him leave. You need to puke. So start feeling better. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so I think, so it's super common to yeah. where I have friends who've dealt with it themselves. Yeah. It's crazy. So sad. Yeah. So sad. Very but, sad. But that, that's to the extent that human trafficking goes. So a lot of people, that's why I tell people, don't think that sex is the only reason for human trafficking. Right. You know, there's people that get their passport taken and you're going to work for me for the next 10 years. Uh, uh, maybe I'll give you your passport back, Jeez. you know, and you're going to be free labor for me. Wow. Yeah. It happens all the time. But uh, anyway, so some of the stuff you asked me, what else I'm involved with, as, as you know, I'm big, I'm big on, on suicide prevention. Yeah, yeah. We have lost too many friends, whether they're law enforcement, military, or just any regular civilian, we have lost them to suicide. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I started this organization called Let's Walk It Out 222 Mile Rock March. So what we do is we start, I know a lot of people think we're crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we start in Fayetteville, North Carolina, mm. and um, we go all the way to Camel June, ah. and then back to North Carolina, and we're carrying uh, a rock sack with us and uh, walking for 10 days, uh, approximately 22 to 23 miles per day average. Uh, so we walk more than 222 miles technically. Wow. Uh, in that time period, once a year, and the next one starts here on March 31st. Oh, boy. Yep. Are you trained up? Are you ready? She, there's no getting ready. It's like, <laughs> suck it up. It's suck it up, man. Just gonna suck. Now, 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 I didn't really recover from all my surgeries that I had last year, like I was telling you, go bladder and all that, until like about November time frame. Okay. So in November, I started doing small rocks, like two miles, three miles, four miles. The latest one I've done are eight to ten miles. Okay. And I'm, when I get done, I'm like, 
okay, I feel good. So yeah. I know I can handle the rest. Yeah, you, you know? can handle it. Yeah. But, but I was just worried that physically because of all the, I'm still tender in, in those areas where they did surgery. So yeah. I was just worried I, w- I wouldn't be, be able to handle it, but I, but I think I can. Man, that's important. Yeah, we're doing work with a group called Heart Support. In fact, that's our first gala coming up in March. Um, by the time this podcast gets out, it might already be over. But the 25th to 26th, we got a gala out there. But we connected with a group called Heart Support, and they uh, brought us a connection to mental health resources. So they were started by a lead singer of a band called August Burns Red, which is a metal band, Jake Lures. Um, and he had brought resources for the, over the past 10 years to metalheads, you know, kids that are in that world, because obviously there's a lot of suicide, self-harm. Yep. And so we've been their veteran connection to the veterans, where we could tell these stories and then share these stories and then provide a connection. So if you're reading the story, you read a story of... J.P. Cervantes, what he went through, uh, Rudy Reyes, uh, Tim Kennedy, Nate Boyer, any of these guys, Kirstie Ennis, they read the story, and then at the end of it, they say, hey, I've been having some of these issues, too. They can then go to the link, and they get 24-7 assistance, resources. All that oh, that's stuff, pretty cool. You know? We need action in this community. And yeah. so I want to thank you for providing that and for being a part of the actionable processes. Oh, no, Because man. that's important. Uh, you know, we hear awareness all the time, right? Yep. You hear it. Awareness, awareness, awareness. We're, I think we're sick of that, aren't we? Yeah. A little bit. Triage is needed. We need Triage help. is definitely needed. Yeah. Like one of the things that we're doing with Let's Work It Out, we're expanding now. Awesome. Because uh, we just technically started last year. Yeah. So now we're expanding to where we're going to do satellite events. Oh, cool. Just one day events in different regions. Uh, but then we're also going to start sending veterans to uh, alternative uh, treatment, awesome. i.e., fishing, skydiving. Whatever, because every veteran is different, right? What works for you might not work for the next person. Right. So we want to make sure that that when we are helping someone, we're helping that person, not just a general, you know, broad of this is what we think everybody needs. Right, right. No, what goes, what's going to make you happy? What's going to bring that that adrenaline back into, into your body that's going to make you feel alive? Um, so we're going to start doing that soon. And... Um, and um, I know when, when we first met you, you asked me, I remember you asked me about why 222 miles? Yeah. So for everybody to understand why we came up with that, it's, it's really simple. I'm not going to take long. It's, you know, I, I personally done 2.2 mile runs, 22 miles rocks, 2.2 mile walks. And I tell people, you know, the 22 push-ups. And I tell people, when I started talking to a lot of veterans when it came to suicide, I ask them a lot. It's like, listen, there's a lot of people doing a lot of great things for you out there. 22 push-ups, 2.2 mile runs, this and that. But the answer I got for most of them was like, they don't understand my pain. Mm. So the word pain kept coming all the time. Yeah. And I go like, and they, and they always say, I do appreciate what they're doing, but they don't understand my pain. So as we are looking at doing something for the veteran community, you know, for suicide and all that, I was looking at doing the rock march, but I go like, man, 22 miles. Said, anybody can do that, yeah. right? And then I go like, 222. And somebody look at me and says, you're freaking crazy. <laughs> and I said, 222. They're like, why? It's like, because it's gonna inflict pain. Yeah, I go like now the pain that we're gonna that we're gonna endure is is physical pain, 
and we can get rid of it with Motrin. Their pain is mental. It's not easy to get rid of, but if we can mimic that pain, we're already winning. And, we're like, and they're like, okay, can you walk it and not do the rock? And I said, no. The rock is us carry, carrying the burden for them. It's like, so we're going to have pain and carrying the burden for them. All they got to do is stick around one more day. That's all we're asking. I will, I will incur pain in myself for 222 miles. I will carry the burden with you. All I'm asking is stick around one more day. Let's talk about this. That's all. That's powerful. That's all. Yeah, that's powerful. So throw them your links. What, where, are you, where are you at? What do you have on Instagram, social media? Oh, so you can find us. Uh, so... Uh, Let's walk it out dot org is our website and you can find us in social media as let's walk it out two 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 mile rock uh, all over social media. Awesome. JP Cervantes, everybody. El Comandante. <laughs> el, el Comandante. <laughs> Always the ruler, man. So good to have you on, bro. I appreciate you. Thank man. you for having me, brother. Yeah. I really appreciate it. It was an honor to do it with you. And anytime I get to have these conversations with some of our nation's most elite, I'm always very thankful. So I appreciate you, bro. Uh, to all of you listening, don't forget, most of all, our legacies are the mission. This has been the Veterans Project Podcast with our founder, Tim Kay. Check us out at www.thevetsproject.com, on Instagram at The Veterans Project, Facebook The Veterans Project, and Twitter at Project underscore Veteran. Thanks for listening, and don't forget, our legacies are the mission.